He is a Denver native born of Denver natives. A former Denver chief deputy district attorney, he is now an active Colorado trial lawyer. Bright, independent, and full of fun, he has been part of the media for decades. This is The Craig Silverman Show. What a world, what a life, what a day. Saturday, October 1, 2022. This show is impactful. It's about bigotry and the stupidity that often goes along with that. My guests are not stupid, nor are they bigots. Joe O'Day wants to be your United States Senator. He returns to the podcast to make his case. And we talk about the stupidity of people who are pro-life who say they will not support Joe O'Day. And uh, yes, we name names. And we do that as well with Dave Flomberg, the columnist of the Colorado Times Recorder, who covers the anti-Semitism beat. And that's the beat of this show this week, because during these days of awe, the period of time between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we contemplate things. And I've been watching the documentary, The U.S. and the Holocaust. It's very disappointing and enlightening. I don't like Jew-hating, and that's what it is. Ronald Lauder, head of the World Jewish Congress, a billionaire who has devoted a lot of his time and money to fighting anti-Semitism, said we should come up with a better word. Dave Blomberg and I get to it. Listen to Ronald Lauder. It's time to stop talking about anti-Semitism. The word has lost its meaning. Call someone an anti-Semite today and people will respond with a shrug and eye roll. No one is embarrassed anymore when they're called an anti-Semite. Anti-Semitism must be called what it really is, Jew hatred. If you attack Jewish students on campus, you're a Jew hater. If you say Israel shouldn't exist, you're a Jew hater. Calling it what it really is, that's how we'll start to defeat it. Let's stop calling it anti-Semitism when it really is Jew hatred. Share this video if you believe in calling this evil by its real name, Jew hatred. I call out Jew haters. In the history of this podcast, I've specifically named Peter Boyles. I think it's outrageous that he would be part of any presentation of an award to Alan Berg, who was killed by bigots, with an assault weapon. Peter Boyles, who even as I speak, is doing ads for the Tanner Gun Show. Alan Berg hated guns, and if you listen to my show, he didn't care all that much for Peter Boyles. But Peter Boyles, since the man is dead, keeps saying that that was his best friend, and who can dispute it? Well, my podcasts have done so. Judith Berg came on my show, and she ought to know she was with Alan Berg the last night of his life. They went to dinner. He dropped her off. Thank God she wasn't murdered. He was by the order, neo-Nazis, who wanted to kill a prominent Jew, and they did it with Alan Berg. Judith Berg was bereaved afterwards. She dedicated her life to fighting against people who are bigots like this. And she encountered Peter Boyles, who had this exchange with her. And it brings me no great pleasure to have this said on my podcast. It was unexpected. 
but she said it, and I believe her. Here's the thing that I want to know about Alan Burke, because I've tried to identify who his friends were at the time he died. Who would you say were his top friends? Well, I don't know, and I hope, I just hope that Alan really didn't allow a friendship with Peter Boyle because Peter claimed they were friends. I don't know. You would know. What What do you know about that? I don't know anything. I never witnessed those two interact. Uh, maybe I heard them on the radio occasionally, but at the time of Alan's death, they were competing against each other, and I have yes. been in a and situation. Alan, and Go ahead. Peter Boyle, Peter Boyle told me, Alan left you money. Why don't you give the money to his mother? I, I hated Peter. I hate him. I hated him then. I hate him now. I hated him forever. Why don't you give money to Ruth Berg? Then he called me a kike. Peter Boyle called me a kike. For what reason? Probably because he thought I... Well, because he was telling me to give money to Alan's mother. I mean, Peter has always been in an inordinate uh, conversation, I think. I mean, I know he has a a population that thinks he's great. But that's a startling accusation to say that he used the K-word. Are are you sure? When did this happen? This happened after Alan died and... and, um, Oh, it was, I think it was actually something about he left me money and and Peter thought I should give it to to Ruth Berg. I mean, well, Peter's so outrageous. Are you surprised? Alan Berg is going into the Denver Press Club Hall of Fame. Judith Berg was going to attend, but if Peter Boyles is part of a presentation there, she doesn't want to be a part of it. The man frightens her. Anti-Semitism is frightening. Dave Flomberg is not afraid. He'll tell you why. He grew up a Denver Jew, and he writes out, he speaks out, and he's a fascinating dude. I think Joe O'Day is a good man. He's got the grandson of one of my all-time best friends, a conservative Catholic named Joseph Henry Leiden. He and I could talk politics for 18 holes, and in the clubhouse afterwards. But it was always in a spirit of love and affection. And sometimes he'd influence me. Other times I influenced him. But he was never a bigot. I don't like bigotry and people who tolerate bigotry. And I see it out of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Christian nationalism and Proud Boys and QAnon. And people with a microphone have a special responsibility to call it out. Instead, I hear out of Denver Trump radio hosts constant allusions to Polis, Wise, or Griswold being full of money. And oh yeah, they're smart, they're clever, they're conniving. They're Jews, don't you know? That's the way I hear it. And it would be nice if they spoke out against anti-Semitism in a real way at a real right time with a guest like Dave Flomberg, but don't expect for that to happen. He's here. He's sensational. So the show goes like this. Joe O'Day, who wants your vote, 
Megan, my vote. Michael Bennett, I'd like you on my show, please. Joe O'Day wants to come back once more. He's trying to get unaffiliated voters, such as myself, and maybe he will. Dave Flomberg gets my vote as a smart dude who understands the problem of Jew-hating in America. And then there's Dave Gunders, our troubadour, who had his own bad experiences growing up in Chicago with a lot of Jew-haters who he had to fight. I don't want to fight with Jew-haters, but I'm not going to give them a pass. I'm not going to let them launch anti-Semitic attacks against Polis, Weiser, or Jenna Griswold. Debate them on policy instead of with these Jew-hating tropes. I make my case this entire show. Thanks for listening. After this message, Joe O'Day, followed by Dave Flomberg, columnist with Colorado Times Recorder, and then our troubadour, Dave Gunders. Dave Gunders' song this week, Sorry Isn't Good Enough. Words to ponder between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. A sincere apology? Yes, but when it comes to bigotry, there needs to be repentance, acknowledgement, understanding. Let's work together for peace. Enjoy. It's hot in here. Did that toaster catch on fire? It wasn't that. You choked on that bite of burnt bagel. Why is everything all red? The heat is unbearable. Where am I? Excuse me, your dishonor. May I step in on behalf of my client? Mr. Silverman, proceed. Tell me one redeeming good thing your client did. He was a faithful listener to my radio show. Not good enough. He had decency and compassion for his family. He did end-of-life planning with Michael Bailey. The Michael Bailey? That is kind to your loved ones. That is smart and way too decent for this place. Your client can go. And what about me, your despicableness? Why should I? Michael Bailey is my lawyer, too. Go on, then. Get out of here. (laughs) Now, part of that was serious, and part of that was fictional. But you will die someday, and if you don't make a legal plan, the government will make one for you. Call my lawyer, Michael Bailey. His rates are reasonable, and he can meet with you and your spouse wherever you want, and on weekends and evenings. 720-394-6887 or online at mblaw.com. LLC.com. Now back to the Fred Silverman Show. Hey, being a lawyer is a matter of judgment. You have to know the law, the facts, but good judgment is essential. If you don't understand how Donald Trump is culpable for the crimes committed in his name, then I question your judgment. I have the good judgment to question Donald Trump. If you want a lawyer like that, Instead of a knucklehead who believes in the MAGA propaganda, call Craig, 303-734-7156, 303-734-7156. I am Craig, Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Craig, you there? I'm right here, Joe O'Day. Thanks a lot for coming back on the podcast. Appreciate you having me, Craig. Good to be with you today. I found out some other reasons why I may have to vote for you. Is it true you worked at Piccolo's? I uh, started my working career there when I was 13 and a half as a dishwasher. And uh, worked for him for about six years off and on. Uh, made bread in the mornings. Oh, uh, that bread. My, uh... I-, I owe about 20 pounds to that bread. It's unbelievable. <laughs> 
Oh, I made bread in the morning. I'd get in there at 2.30 and uh, get out of there by 7 and go to a second job. Now, this is a shopping center at Hampton and Monaco. Um, the King Supers is there, but I've been going to Piccolo's for years, and all those people who say, you can't do separate styles of food like Mexican, American. What else do they have there? But they do it all great. Oh, they Italian. got great Italian food. Yeah, right. it's fantastic. It's owned by the Canino family for probably 55 years, I think. Correct? I know it. Those Italian families who came to Colorado are amazing. Uh, on my wife's side, the Romano family is one of them. And did you ever go to Jim Sano's Pizzeria on University? I bet we ate at the same restaurants growing up. I, I'm sure I was there many, many times. My parents used to frequent that place. And that's another reason why I have to think about voting for you, even though I'm not that fond of Republicans right now, is because of your late father who worked for the Denver police. I got to work with him a little bit. He was a star, gone too soon. But this crime problem in Colorado, what's going on there, Joe O'Day, and how can it be fixed? Well, it's just a lack of focus by the liberals here in Colorado and, and nationally. Uh, we've got record crime here. Uh, Colorado's number one in auto theft. I can't hardly go into a room right now where I ask people, if you had your car stolen? Some people tell me twice. Uh, we're number one in bank robberies. I don't know if people know that. We're number three in violent crime. Uh, we're number two in fentanyl overdoses. Un unbelievable. And it's all happened in the last year and a half. And it's two reasons. Uh, we defunded, we demoralized the police. Uh, so we've lost a lot of cops that have retired, just gotten out of the industry because of the lack of respect. And then secondly, we've got these DAs that won't enforce our laws. Uh, we're, we're turning people loose on a dollar or uh, no-cost bonds. They don't show back up. They go rip off another car, and it's ridiculous. Uh, so we've, we've got to get crime back under control here. Uh, my first bill, uh, Craig, that I'm going to run, it's going to be focused on securing our border. Uh, I, what I want to do is take the money that they've just approved to put into these bureaucracies like the IRS. They want to add 87,000 IRS agents. I want to take that money. I want to devote that to shutting, securing this border, uh, getting our border under control, improving our immigration system. I want to give uh, citizenship to the dreamers. Uh, I, want to, I want that to be included. I want to streamline the Im immigration process so that good people that come here legally can get through our process. And in addition to that, I want to take some of those funds and I want to put it to the local police departments, the local sheriffs, so they can hire more cops. I was talking with uh, Chief of Police Pazin here for the Denver Police. He needs 250 more cops to fill his ranks. I, I did a ride around last week with uh, Sheriff Schrader out of Jeffco. He needs 60 more sheriffs to fill his his coffers, and and we've got to get this crime under control. Coloradans can't can't live through this. Right, but it's not all Democrats because I go way back to back in the day with your father, and they used to call it joyriding, and it was a misdemeanor. It never made sense to me, and I'm all for getting tougher on crimes like stealing cars. Absolutely, incarcerate such people. Now, I have clients, sadly, who have lost children to fentanyl. It's a disaster. Do we need to recreate the drug war? Did that work? 
I know your father was part of the vice department, but did the war on drugs really work? I heard Steve Walls, this guy who gave all the money to Heidi Ganahl and George Brock or whatever, but he came on, he said, find a fentanyl dealer, put him in prison for 100 years, and I've heard Donald Trump talk that way. It seems a little authoritarian, and didn't we try this? What's the solution, Joe? Well, we've got to get the fentanyl off of the street. If you talk to the police, the sheriffs, what they're telling us is we've got to shut this this border supply down. They mm-hmm. they need they'll work on the criminals up here, but they need help with the supply. We need to get this fentanyl off the street. We just had uh, two weeks ago, nine a, a guy gets picked up on I seventy. He's got ninety thousand pills in his car. That's enough to kill 500,000 people. I mean, it's an amazing amount of fentanyl. And, and we've got to get that off our streets. So the, the cops need help with this border situation. It's leaking through there. Uh, the Border Patrol is overwhelmed right now. So they're, they're actually having to come through some of the ports as well because they just don't have enough people down there to keep this, this uh, border under control. we got cartels up here in our neighborhoods right now. That's amazing. A lot of uh, my employees... Are, are immigrated here from Mexico years ago, and uh, they came up here be- to get away from the crime. And now the crime has followed them up here. It's in our neighborhoods. They got cartels that are, you know, talking to their kids in the evenings and stuff when they're at school. It's an amazing situation. We've got to get it under control. And everybody wants to talk to Joe Day, but we have him right now. You know, Adam Fresh is an interesting guy who's running his own race for Colorado CD3, but I want to give him credit for his criticism of Democrats because Democrats run big cities and there's no real contest. When you and I were growing up in Denver, hell, I tried to run as an unaffiliated to win Denver office, but nobody since uh, we can really remember has won being a non-Democrat, and that hurts the cities because there's no real competition. The same argument could be made about the rural areas where there's no real competition. I like competition. That's why I like this race between you and Michael Bennett, right? So um, do you agree with that, Joe? I mean, if I say you're kind of a guy in the middle, do you accept that as a compliment, the kind of person who can work across party, party lines? break up this uh, divisiveness in America that could kill it? I, I, I totally agree, and I take that as a compliment, Craig. Uh, we need more people that can work in the middle. Uh, the extremes are not are not pushing our country forward. They're holding us back. Michael Bennett votes with his party 98% of the time, and that's not healthy. That's not healthy. One-party rule is not healthy. We need balance. Both both parties have good ideas, but we need somebody in the middle to bring these two good ideas together so we can have better policy that is better for working Americans. There are a lot of other reasons I'm considering voting for you. I like you. When I had a glitch the last time we had an interview, you accommodated me. I hope you still have as your right-hand guy, Joe Lyden's grandson, one of my best friends ever, Joe Lyden. And your accessibility. Talk about that, because I've tried to get Michael Bennett on my podcast. I even saw him in person and extended the invitation, and and I'm working on it, but Michael Bennett is inaccessible. Back in the day when I had a radio show, it was tough to get him on, 
And then I've asked him to be on the podcast, and maybe he'll come on, maybe he won't. But I don't see him make a lot of public appearances where he's going to take questions like you do that are unscripted. Is that important? Is that something voters should think about, Joe? Well, I think voters want access to a senator. They want a senator that's working for Colorado. Uh, you know, he's so busy accommodating his party, he doesn't have time for working Americans here in Colorado. It's it's a it's a big disappointment. It's why I'm in this race, Craig, is I, I'm going to be a senator for Colorado. I'll be accessible. Um, I like answering the tough questions. I got to tell you, he uh, he's only agreed to one debate. Uh, it's uh, the 28th of October, as you know, the ballots dropped sometime the 17th. So half the ballots will probably be turned in. Uh, and, and that's the only debate he's agreed to. And it's with nine news. So I'll have to debate them both. It'll be Bennett and Kyle Clark. Now, wait uh, a second. To, and I mean, I mean can, can I, Kyle was a guest of mine on episode 100. And if you watch his show, I don't know if you do or if you don't, but he offers criticism of Democrats when they screw up. And you don't think Kyle Clark and Marshall Zellinger can be fair to you? Well, they haven't been to me so far. They, I did a 20-minute interview, and uh, Kyle edited it to show some uh, uh, slips that I had and, and took them totally out of context. He's not been fair with me. I've been fair with him. Uh, and they, he comes after me every time he turns around, and I haven't seen him be fair with any of the Republicans here this year. Uh, he's, a, in my opinion, he's a, uh, a, an activist. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's, his, that's his role, I guess. Uh, I don't feel like I'm getting treated fairly from him whenever I, I, I talk to him. So, and that's my own personal feelings. But uh, people like to watch his show. I understand. I think the guy who's killing you in the media is Dan Kaplis. He has an afternoon show. He's got a lot of pro-life followers. He advertises full page in the Catholic newspapers. And he's come out and said, I can't vote for Joe O'Day because he... Uh, he liked Roe versus Wade, and he may codify it. To me, that's what's killing you more than Kyle Clark. What do you say about that? Well, you know, Dan has his opinion. Uh, I disagree with Dan. Uh, I'll stand my ground. I, I, I am who I am. Uh, I'm going to buck the party when, when I think the party's wrong. I think we need balance to uh, the abortion issue. I've been very vocal about that. Dan and I disagree. I still hope to earn his vote, vote at some point. Uh, if he looks at my stance versus where my opponent is, then I'm much more conservative than Michael Bennett, who wants to approve abortion up to and including the day of birth. And I just disagree with that. That, to me, is extreme. Uh, and I'm going to stand my ground. Don't count on him voting for you because he would lose his pro-life constituency and the business he derives therefrom. And when people are hurting in a collision, they turn to their faith. And my gosh, if somebody's pro-life, you're a Catholic. How does that work out? I'm not Catholic. I know a lot of Catholic people, but what a division. I mean, uh, some Catholics say it's against your religion. Are you a bad Catholic, Joe O'Day? Well, I'm Catholic. Personally, I'm very pro-life, but I also don't agree that government needs to get in the role of telling people what to do with every step in their lives. And so uh, that's where I differentiate. Uh, I can agree with Dan Kaplis on one thing, and, and that is that we need to make adoption more acceptable. I, you know, as you know, Craig, 
you've heard my story. I was adopted at birth and uh, must have had a really brave biological mother to have carried me to term back in the 60s uh, and, and, uh, and carried out, you know, uh, bringing me into this world. And I appreciate her. And I think we need to do more in, in, in the United States to make adoption more acceptable, make it socially acceptable. Uh, I would support tax credits. I would support anybody that would help to make adoption the answer as opposed to abortion. I don't know if you've heard Dan's latest commercials, but he says hire uh, hire a law firm based on faith. And he frequently says, vote your faith. So what would you say to a fellow Catholic who says, hey, Joe, my faith doesn't include Roe v. Wade. I can't vote for you. Do you respect that? Or do you say, time out? Let's think of it a different way. What do you do? Well, I, I do respect their decisions. I respect anybody's decision. But I got to tell you that the the alternative is is Michael Bennett, who's extreme, up to and including the day of birth. That's that's out there. That's too far out. And I think that they'll find that there's a lot of things they can agree with me on. They can agree with me on supporting adoption. They can agree with me on smaller government. They can agree with me on fiscal conservatism. So there's a lot of things there that I think that, uh, you, you know, we don't agree with everybody 100% of the time. Uh, the only one that does is Michael Bennett. He is 98% of the time with Joe Biden. So, you know, that's what they've got to they've got to uh, look at. Here's what I love about you. You would shake up the Republican Party. You would be a national star, by the way. I think you're doing great on those national hits. You look good. You sound good. And you speak your mind. But you won't be the leader. You won't replace Mitch McConnell right away. So I can't understand these Republicans who are pro-life who would say, I'm not going to vote for Joe O'Day because the majority is in the balance. And insofar as codifying Roe v. Wade, if the Republicans are in charge, it doesn't mean Joe O'Day will be in charge. There will never be a vote in the Senate that way. So I just can't understand other than for posturing purposes why somebody who's pro-life would prefer Michael Bennett to you. So I get your argument there, but I'm more concerned about extremism of a different sort within the Republican Party. At CPAC, they invite Viktor Orban. Do you like that guy? Do you do you approve of, you know, Maloney in Italy? Do, do you want to see your party go in that direction? I think the party is better served by going more to the middle. We've got to get away from these extremes. Uh, they're not serving anybody. We've got extremes on the left. Uh, they want to shut down the entire energy program here in the United States. We've got extremes on the right, uh, and, and they want to shut down certain things. So we, we need more people that want to work in the middle, that want to cross party lines, talk to each other about good ideas to, to move America forward. And that's what I'm going to be a champion of. Can we be extreme about one thing? Can we support Ukraine? And can we agree that Vladimir Putin is a modern madman? who needs to be confronted and stopped. Can we agree on that, Joe? Uh, I do agree with that. I, I agree with supporting Ukraine. I think they're doing a great job of, you know, for a little country, they're sure uh, putting the whip boss on, uh, on old Vladimir. They're holding him at bay. I think we should continue to support that. Uh, I think one of the ways that we could end this Russian war is let's get some uh, good American natural gas exported uh, on the eastern coast, and let's send that to 
to Europe and let's take them off of the of the uh, Russian gas. Can I just compliment you on your daughter? That ad she does is so beautiful. Congratulations. You can just tell your daughter's a wonderful person. She's uh, She looks a lot like her mother. That's the, that's the good news. And I think it gives you special sensitivities, probably to the issues of racism, bigotry, and boy, is that on my mind. I was at the commemoration of the 81st anniversary of uh, the Bobby R. Massacre. And right there in our neighborhood, Southeast Denver, I don't know if you ever go to Bobby R. Park, but it will get your attention, especially on a day like yesterday as we commemorate that tragedy. And I'm worried about the world moving toward bigotry and fascism, Joe O'Day. And I need people in the Republican Party to stop that. Would you be that guy? I'm that guy, Craig. I got to tell you, my wife is, uh, uh, her grandfather immigrated from Mexico. Uh, uh, the Hispanic community is part of my family. I don't have time for bigotry for for anything. I like to judge people based on, on uh, their work ethic, on their character. I don't see color. The other thing that may get my vote, I'm still worried about the R on your jersey, but you don't kowtow to Donald Trump. And uh, the big lie, it's bad. And I heard uh, somebody smart, I think it was Major Garrett from the CBS, he's written a book and he, he just said, what if the Democrats would have taken it that far in 2016? And the January 6th consequences. Joe O'Day, are you still firmly against the big lie and do you regard it as dangerous to American democracy? Apparently, Jenny Thomas still believes in it. And a lot of people on Denver media still push it. Can you assure me that you reject it? Well, look, I, I've been, since day one I got in this race, uh, Joe Biden's our president. He's a terrible president. I disagree with all of the stuff that happened after that election. Uh, I'm just telling you, January 6th was a black eye to our country. Anybody that can you know, was violent during that and, and all the way back to all these other violent acts that we had in the summer of, of mostly peaceful protests. Violent, I have no tolerance for violence. Lock them up. And that's what they should be doing. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very concerned with both of these presidents. Uh, they're talking about, you know, Biden versus Trump again in 2024. And I'm going to campaign for any other Republican to be our nominee. Uh, I, I don't want to move our country backwards. I want to move it forwards. Joe Biden shouldn't run, and neither should Donald Trump. Just one more, Joe, if I could, because you referenced the disturbances following the murder of George Floyd, which was shocking, not just that Derek Chauvin would do it, but three other cops would stand there. I bet your father would have done better. And I bet your father would have been shocked that assault weapons were on the street and that's a danger to him and his colleagues. Right when that rioting was going on, a Denver cop says his AK-47 was stolen and a white guy, disturbed, shot a beautiful girl named Bella Thales, who grew up right near us, Isabella Joy Thales, and grievously wounded my beautiful client, Darian Simon. And I want people who don't like the fetishizing of big guns I worry about Republicans who never saw an assault weapon they didn't like. Are you that kind of Republican? Can we do anything about 
this kind of weaponry being fetishized by your party and people like Lauren Boebert? Look, I, I'm not a big weapons guy, but I, I also believe we got to enforce the laws that we have on the books, Craig. We, we, we are right now, if you get caught with a stolen car and drugs in it and, a, and, a, and you have a gun, it's not a felony. To me, that's just crazy. How are we letting uh, drug pushers have guns? And we've got to do better with crime. We just have to. We need more cops on our street. We also have a mental health issue that we've got to get cleaned up. Uh, we need help when it comes to mental health. We need more facilities. We need more people, more places to send people. Uh, we should be investing in in more mental health. Uh, and, and I just I just disagree with all this violence. Joe, I know you do. I know your dad was dedicated to protecting people in Denver, Colorado. You make a lot of strong points in your favor and your accessibility. I know how hard it is to run for office, but I really don't because you're running statewide. It's amazing. Good luck to you, and thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me on today, Craig. I appreciate uh, chatting with you, and and, and we'll get together uh, again before the the election. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. Now, during the pandemic and otherwise, a lot of people have so much affection for their pets. That must come up all the time. What's going to happen to Scruffy? What can you tell us about that, Michael Bailey? What you can do is create a pet trust in Colorado. You put money into trust, and then that money is available and earmarked to care for the dog. And it can last the lifetime of the dog or 21 years, whichever is shorter. And then when the time frame for the trust is up, you can dictate who gets whatever leftover money or I have several clients who will leave it to some sort of animal shelter or animal rescue to be able to care for other animals. How cool is that? You can go to Mike Bailey's office and he has offices all over and you could meet at your home, whatever. I love the way you practice law. You've kept it going for a long time. Tell everybody how they can make you their lawyer. So my phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. They can call me or they can go online to mobileestateplanning.com. And there's a link there where you can schedule an appointment with me. Okay, here's the thing. You've been hurt. Maybe, God forbid, someone's been killed. You don't know what to do. If it happened in Colorado, please get a hold of me. Check out my website, craigscoloradolaw.com. craigscoloradolaw.com because I have four decades of experience. Sadly, I've helped a lot of people who have been hurt terribly through no fault of their own. 303-734-7156. Please call Craig. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. 303-734-7156. Gosh, I like reading this guy. He doesn't write enough. Turns out I used to read him back in the day. You've got it. He's a writer. His name is Dave Flomberg, and he's a smart dude on my podcast for the first time. Thanks for coming to the studio. Thank you for having me, Craig. Appreciate it. 
Tell everybody about yourself. Uh, okay, yeah. I started uh, my career as a journalist at the Boulder Weekly as the entertainment editor up there. At a Now go back a little further. Where did you grow up? Grew up here. Uh, my family moved here when I was uh, a kid back in 1979-80. Uh, grew up here, went to East High School in East Angel. Did you live south of Colfax or north of Colfax? Southeast Denver, over in Hamden Heights. Holy cow. This show we have Joe O'Day, who grew up near Racket World, Monaco and Yale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now you, another Southeast Denver boy with me, GW, Southeast yeah. Denver. Yeah, I, w- I would have probably ended up going to either George or TJ, but that was before they ended busing for the desegregation right. movement. And I'm glad I loved East. It's It was a great experience. My mama went there. But I'm a patriot. <laughs> Green and white all the way. So did you go to CU or something like uh, that? Well, I started uh, college at UNC Greeley. I was a music performance major. Uh, played trombone. I've been a musician my whole life. Nice. And uh, at some point up there, um, I fell in love with writing. I got a, I answered an ad in the UNC Mirror that they're looking for people to write a CD review column. And I said, that sounds like fun. So I tried it and uh, discovered seeing my name in print was like as much high as being on stage was for me and a better chance of um, making a living at the time. Were you making money with your trombone? uh, Nothing to live on at the time. But But something. You were a pro musician. Yeah. um, during uh, During the late 90s, during the swing thing, that's when I probably made my full time income band called Money Plays 8. We were kind of that second tier right underneath like Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and Royal Crown Review. Tell me some of the spots you played. Um, everywhere. Regionally, um, you know, all of the main uh, venues in Colorado, everywhere from, you know, the Ogden, the Fox, the Boulder Theater, Glenn Miller, um, Gothic, Bluebird. Um, Bluebird. I knew you were going to say that because my mind goes to that 1400 block of Adams for a different reason. Hmm. Being. Allenberg was assassinated there for being Jewish. That's right. That's exactly right. It haunts me because I was a young Denver prosecutor at the time. And the Bluebird Theater, I'm old enough to have gone to legit movies there. And my mom grew up around there. She was an East High girl. And so. I've seen the Bluebird through all its iterations. And it's had plenty. <laughs> it's had a lot of iterations. Somebody told me Johnny Barber was on, mm-hmm. one of the kings of Colfax, and he said that Bluebird is the perfect theater to play. It, I, it's probably one of my favorite, like, long-time venues in Colorado. Like, there are better better sound systems, et cetera, but, but the Bluebird has a great size, you know, it's a 350-seat house, maybe 400 if you're pushing it. So you don't have to pack it to f- make it feel pretty full. It's a great theater-sized, you know, theater-styled right. venue. And the sound system's always been decent. Um, the Oriental is another one I love, mostly because that one's still privately owned by Andy Burkhard and, and nice. his partners. But uh, the rest are pretty much handled through AEG now. So... Growing up in Denver, we know you liked music. What else did you do? Um, yeah, music was a big thing for me. Um, you know, I played sports as a kid, you know, like all the kids did in my What era. about your folks, your family? Uh, my mom and pops both uh, were New Yorkers. Um, they ended up out here after my dad got out of the service. He was in the Air Force during NAM. 
Um, he was out here for a little while. Uh, then they moved to L.A. area, Santa Ana, where I was born, and then they moved back. Your father served in Vietnam? Yeah, in the Air Force as a buck sergeant. Well, wait, the Flomberg, isn't that Jewish? Oh, yeah. Jewish guys fighting wars? Well, in his mind, everyone around him was getting drafted at the time, so he figured he'd enlist in the one service that wasn't drafting. And, uh, and that was the Air Force. I say it in jest because there have been so many legendary Jewish heroes in our own community. Maurice Rose, mm-hmm. the greatest tank commander in World War II history, paid with his life, sort of like Allen Burke. Allen Burke murdered for being a Jew. Right. And um, growing up, did you go to Shul? Yeah, I grew up at, uh, at Emmanuel, Temple Emmanuel. That was my, you know, our congregation. That's where I was uh, confirmed and bar mitzvahed and, and uh, under, you know, Rabbi Foster, who has been a longtime family friend. He's a newcomer. I remember Rabbi Stone. <laughs> and before that, yeah, my parents got married at the old Temple Emmanuel. Oh, yeah. The old one on, on Pearl? Yes. Yeah, that's actually where I got married. Um because at the time, they weren't doing interfaith marriages at, at Emmanuel. So I thought it'd be pretty funny to kind of thumb my nose at that and, and do it at the Old Temple Emmanuel. Well, there you go. I got married at Beth Joseph, which soon thereafter merged with BMH near my house, Monaco and Exposition. But they were like our rivals, so mm-hmm. that didn't make any sense. <laughs> I became a wandering Jew for a while. But then, as I attended a murder trial... In Denver, I found out what had happened to that synagogue because I was talking with some ministers who knew all about it, and they say it's in the hands of a cult now. Really? Yes. So I got married at a place that might be part of a cult. That's just hearsay. How auspicious. Right. It was auspicious. It was a snowy night, and I remember it well. And 28 years later, here I am sitting with you. Dave Flomberg, and you kind of remember when I met my wife. You told me that back in the day when we were at the Cherry Creek Sporting Club, mm-hmm. you were there too? Yeah, it was uh, when I was in college. I was managing the front desk there for a while. Worked in the towel room first and, you know, making Ed's meet. And I, rem- I distinctly remember you more than a lot of the other members, actually, from that time period. You, uh, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, was a member at that time. I think I, think I remember breaking up a fight on the, on the basketball court you might have even been involved in. What? <laughs> and Mahmoud Abdul-Rope, I'll take it. No, but I played some hard hoops there. And... I don't think you and him were fighting, but... Uh, yeah. uh, no, of course not. <laughs> but those games could get heated back yeah. in the day. Yeah. It was like, it Remember was Mark Harden, who played for the Broncos? Mike. Mike Harden. Mike Harden. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking of a lawyer named uh, Mark Harden. Mike Harden. Yeah. He had the great uh, defensive back from Michigan. Yep, safety. Uh, he was one of the best tippers during the holidays. He'd come right. in and he'd, he'd drop a big tip, and then I guess he got into some legal trouble later. But uh, yes. he was a really nice guy to me. Well, sure. <laughs> no, I'm not going to make a joke at his expense, but there might have been reason he was passing off that. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, he was a good guy. Yeah, and I like playing the hoop with him, too. Yeah, he was, he was a good guy to set a pick for you, let me tell you. Yeah, good size, for sure. Yes, and not really afraid of people running into him. No, not in the slightest. Gosh, we're going way back. So then you're a trombone player. Before we get off the subject, uh, who is the all-timer in there? Who's the goat when it comes to trombone? 
Uh, J.J. Johnson, hands down. Um, they used to accuse him of playing a valve trombone because he would hit notes so fast and so cleanly, which is really difficult to do with a slide. You know, you're playing seven positions on a sliding instrument. So basically nothing's ever perfect. It's all, it's an ear instrument, you know, but he would move like, like the Charlie Parker of trombone. And he was lights out in, in my opinion, the greatest who ever played the instrument. Well, see, I can't contradict you. Because you keep saying, I know, but I don't know that much. I do know that there was another wind instrument. I do believe that flute from back in revolutionary times, mm -hmm. Lizzo played it lately. Yeah. Did you happen to follow that? Was she good? Yeah. I, I, she's, you know, she's uh, she played with the New York Phil, you know, for a, I was a stunt performance, but she's she's got chops. Certainly good enough to play a. 200 300 year old flute and make it sound decent did you see who tweeted against her as uh it's it's disrespectful and she's only famous for being morbidly obese do you want to guess who made that tweet um tucker carlson jenna ellis ah. colorado attorney yeah there there's another possible answer Oh, my goodness. Yes, and she's got me talking about her because I knew her. A lot of people have stunned me lately with what they will do and say for what? For money? Because their bigots are all put all of together? The above. Yeah. That's, I mean, you know, my father was a Kennedy Democrat and a Reagan, a Reagan Republican. You know, he was a fiscal conservative, social liberal kind of guy. And he he would be certainly rolling over in his grave if you've seen what happened to the GOP in the last six years. It used to be kind of they are not that far apart. We got a little worked up when I was a little kid. Goldwater, he seemed extreme, and he still kind of does. And a lot of it has to do with race and his opposition to the 64 Civil Rights Act. And some people still are on that fight, right? And then I think the left, it was perceived to go extreme with McGovern. And mm -hmm. they and he got beat badly. So, but most of my life, it, it hasn't been that big of a disparity. But now, oh my God! Yeah, I, it, I kind of see three parties right now. I see a centrist party that's pretty big, and I think, in my opinion, uh, Biden is is in that party. You know, he's, you know, the, the right will 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 lob insults or whatever at him, but to most of the left, he's too far right to make them happy. And then you have this. You, so you have the, the far, the further left, this, the 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 younger generations who kind of came out of the woodwork, especially you know the Bernie Krat mindset. You've got this big center, and then you've got what has happened to the GOP under a cult of personality over the last six years, where which which is mind boggling to me because there was, it's it doesn't fit the narrative of what the GOP was supposed to be about, as I understood it. Right, but it fits the narrative of the show I've been watching, and I have to tell everybody about it again because it's influencing my brain. In fact, it was on in the background when I went to sleep, and then you know how it rolls over, it was still on. Mm -hmm. And I'm watching The U.S. and the Holocaust mm -hmm. by Ken Burns. And I can't recommend it enough, but you have to be prepared for it. Because I went to Hill Junior High. Okay. And that's when I would see Holocaust movies. We'd go into a class, they'd show us these emaciated people, mm -hmm. naked women being put in 
showers for their death. It was horrifying. And I'd come out of there ready to punch somebody. Yeah. If somebody looked at me the wrong way, let's go. You can't you can't be a Jew and not have the Holocaust as a central uh formative component of your makeup today. It's even if Maybe you're, that's our generation. It is. I think that's the reverberation of the Holocaust is one hundred percent, you know, I th- there's a cultural underpinning, you know, you see it you see it even in the, in a in a discussion about Zionism, and we can get to that later. But you you see a people <laughs> that is not going to walk quietly anywhere, and and I'm not saying that 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 was what was happening in the Holocaust, but that was a perception uh, from people who don't understand things like the Warsaw Uprising that Jews were fighting their way out. But the numbers were against us from day one, and it's not like it was new. We've been through this time and time again historically since Constantine codified anti-semitism basically jew hatred but uh, and we're not that far removed michael bennett's mother was born in the warsaw ghetto and phil weiser's mother born in buchenwald so so and and my parents living in denver thank god both my parents from here my mother's mother uh was one of 11 my mother's father was one of eight both born in budapest uh, after the Holocaust, there was a total of seven between them. All the rest were killed in, no. the, in, the, in the camps, all of them. By that asshole Eichmann toward the end of the war when he came there to finish the job because Hungary was too slow? So it's a little hard for me to pinpoint. We do know that some ended up in Treblinka, Theresienstadt, Bergen-Belsen, and Auschwitz uh, is the best splits I could find. Um, so I couldn't... We couldn't get much more detail than that, except that, uh, you know, that was that was the you know decimation of my family, um, and my grandparents were, for all intents and purposes, survivors. Although they weren't in camps, they were deeply personally affected by getting out in time. I'm so sorry. In Budapest, what a story that is. I've read some great books. Yeah. And the startling fact that when the Russians liberated Budapest, they cheered, but then the Russians all raped the women. Mm-hmm. as conquests, and then there was a different kind of persecution. What the people of Hungary have been through, now they've got Viktor Orban. Yeah, not my coming favorite. right back. Coming right back, but it's coming it's, around the world. It's, you know. And, and, but, but my point is this. My parents way here in America, but just like they showed in the Ken Burns special, they could tell what was going on. My dad was a teenager, and when he graduated West High, he was going to go in the war. Thank God the Battle of the Bulge turned around. Mm-hmm. But this affected the thinking of my parents, and they are part of that generation. Just, uh, But they were alive during the Holocaust. Yeah. And so uh, your family even more so. But yes, uh, we have a special sensitivity and antennae trying to be alert to it, and mine are going off right now. Is it just because I watched this Ken Burns special? No, no, not at all. I was saying, I, I was watching Trump's march to the White House, and at that time, I was telling my friends, and I was getting into fights with a lot of my more moderate Jewish friends, and I was like, you guys, you need to watch what's happening right you now. You should because- come over and <laughs> slap me upside the head. <laughs> he was, he's, he's, you know, Bannon brilliantly uh, pulled the playbook out. And the minute Trump really started hammering on fake news, 
that's when I was like, this is this is just a recast of Lugenpress. Can I just say this about Bannon? And it's part of my bullshit rationalization for putting up with a guy like him. I thought, well, he worked with Breitbart. Breitbart, who was a big Jewish guy, mm-hmm. all right, who I liked Andrew Breitbart, what I knew of him. So I wrote for Breitbart yeah. for a bit. But Bannon took it in a direction, and now I realize he's scum of the earth and a bigot. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, no, he absolutely is. Uh, You know, it's public record that, you know, in his divorce case and some of the things that he'd said. I remember about, yeah, we're not sending our daughters to no Jew schools. or What did he say? Something like that. It was along those lines, you know, calling the Jewish kids whiny brats. He didn't want his kids around. Um, He had some other commentary. You know, the little things that leak out. Um, no, he, but he was, he, uh, he pulled, he, he looked at, he looked at history. He's, he's, the man is a, an educated historian and he could see the, the blueprint for Trump's success was as a populist and the blueprint that, that Adolf Hitler rose to power on was the same one he was going to employ here. You and, know, I've blown a lot of friendships over Trump myself because once I turned on him, I turned on him hard. Mm-hmm. And Charlottesville was a big turning point for me. Yeah. And I thought it should have been for a lot of Jews, like Geraldo Rivera, who I consider a friend. I was at his wedding. Mm-hmm. He was good enough to invite us. Not like we're bosom buddies, but I really respected the guy. Is smart. And just the other day, uh, my tweet, because I, I kind of pepper him over Twitter, and I think he's off of the Trump train, and he was friends with Trump. In fact, that last year of Celebrity Apprentice, they kind of bonded, and I liked the show too. Mm-hmm. First time I ever watched it, because Geraldo was on. Mm-hmm. And, and so Geraldo's coming back to Earth, and I think that's great. But... I used to say, I don't think Trump's an anti-Semite. And I would point toward Ivanka mm-hmm. and Jared Kushner. Tell us about that, Dave. Well, that's, you know, that's, a, that's an easy um, argument to make. But uh, being an anti-Semite doesn't negate you having Jewish family. You know, it just doesn't. I have, um, I had family who rest, they may they rest in peace, you know, may their memories be a blessing who were bigots who didn't like black people and uh, cousins who married black people that didn't change the fact that they still were racist. You know, it just the fact that your daughter married a Jewish kid. And I think, you know, where Trump is concerned um, for him, as long as there's fealty, I, I think he'll, he, he just doesn't care where that comes from. Right. He'll play to the room, but he found uh, an ability to weaponize anti-Semitism that right. works for him. And I don't think he necessarily, I, I believe that he doesn't consider himself to be an anti-Semite. He thinks that he can make, you know, whatever comments or whatever jokes or whatever statements, because to him, it's just the part of the, the, the game of winning. So he, rationalizes his approach as to it has nothing to do with I don't care what they look like or whatever I'm just going to right and he'll screw somebody whether they're white black Jewish Muslim whatever American he, Indian he, right whatever <laughs> just for himself for his own purposes yeah he plays but he room. will he will get in bed with racists when it meets his end 100% and he's proven that 
time and time again. You right. Know? So it doesn't really matter. If somebody gets in bed with racists, then yeah. come on. You got uh you you got, you know, nine people sitting down to dinner dinner and one of them's a Nazi, you got ten Nazis at dinner. You know, that's Right. And if you have an organization where you allow one Nazi at a meeting, pretty soon you're gonna have nine Nazis. Yeah. And not just one. Yeah, no, he's he's one hundred percent culpable for the political climate and the way the GOP has has uh, embraced. Okay, what are movie. your qualifications? My God, Dave Flomberg, you're a Denver Jew. You played the trombone. You went into journalism. Went into journalism. Um, yeah, it came out of college. I went to UNC first, transferred to Metro because they had a better J school, and plus Ron Miles was teaching there, and I got to J is for journalism, not Jew school. Right? <laughs> not Jew school, okay. yeah. Journalism school. And, and I got to study under Ron Miles for music and jazz, Whoa. which was... Um, is he just, the Colorado goat? Oh, by far he was, yeah. Okay. We lost him, you know, in, in March. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that probably... There, there hasn't been a bigger loss to the music industry in Colorado that... Um, that resonated more deeply like everyone loved ron yeah ron was not only the greatest guy you'll ever meet but a consummate educator amazing composer amazing player um but a man whose moral center was as unimpeachable to me as my father's probably possibly more so is that true of most musicians when no. you're playing with the group are <laughs> no no are there bigots who play you know it's always surprising to me when i find one in in an arts in an arts field, um, there's definitely more of them than I thought, uh, and especially when you're playing American pop music because it's all black music. No matter what you're playing today, it's all black music. It all comes from black music. So mm -hmm. when when I when I get into an argument or or come across, um, you know the 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 racist mindset of another musician, it's mind boggling to me that that they can have that cognitive dissonance and still do what they do. All right, so you're with the great Ron Miles. You go to journalism at school. Did you ever really get a great job as a reporter or what? Yeah, I uh, came out of school. I got my, I thought at the time, my dream job as an entertainment editor for the Boulder Weekly, um, which, you know, for a kid just starting out was huge to me. And then uh, after about a year, I got uh, recruited by City Search, which before the dot-com bust was a pretty big, pretty big deal. They had bought MSN Sidewalk and, um, they were well funded, and uh, then they went belly up, and uh, I was uh, freelancing full time for a little while, trying to make ends meet. And this was before, you know, the internet was the way to do it. You know, I was still pitching to editors, you know, through a phone call across the country. Right. And uh, I, uh, you know, I was a prototypical uh, hipster because I started driving a cab on the side, you know, before Uber and and uh, and Lyft. Lyft. Um, to make ends meet. So I was doing that. And then, um, you know, I was married, so I needed to find a way to get some uh, health insurance because my wife was a server full time. And uh, I uh, fell into a second career at AT&T Broadband, which became Comcast and ended up as a communications manager there and in getting into knowledge management. But I always kept one foot in journalism. So in 2000, I started writing for the Yellow Scene magazine, which is based up in uh, uh, North Metro area, Erie, Longmont. And uh, Siobhan, the publisher, and I worked together at the Boulder Weekly 
before I left. And then uh, she left not long after and started her own thing. And then... Um, get so, to the point where you're at the New York Times. <laughs> I never made it that far, but I did get hired in 2002 to do a nightlife column for the Rocky Mountain News, which was huge for me because it was my hometown paper. It was the paper I loved as a kid. I loved the Rocky. How I, long were you the nightlife guy? From 2002 until it shut down in February 2009. In fact, my very final column was in that paper. Oh, jeez. Seven years. Yeah, and it was a great time. Um, absolutely loved what I did. Uh, big shout out to Joe Rassenfoss and Mike No, who hired me um, and gave me a shot. So tell me what the assignment was. How many words? How often a week? It was uh, a weekly column, and it was uh, usually around 750 words. And uh, most of my column, you know, I approached it from like an anecdotal kind of storytelling lens nice. rather than reviewing bars. It was more, here's a story about this Thursday night I went out. Um, I stole a page out of Hunter S. Thompson's book and I had, uh, I, I would find a foil. And for a lot of years, the first few years, that foil was my friend, Chris, uh, who was uh, known in my column as the German. So he would uh, accompany me much like Hunter S. Thompson's lawyer would accompany him. I have to try that. I have to read more Hunter S. Thompson. I write a column every two weeks for the Colorado Sun, mm -hmm. and it's amazing the directions you can go. It's fun. Yeah. The, the Rocky, and in fact, every column I've had has always given me enough rope to, to hang myself. They've never, never been really hands-on. I want your columnist. You never quite quit, especially in this internet era. Where have you been writing since then? Right. Um, so I continued writing for the Yellow Scene. Over the over since the Trump era, um, I've been you know recognized three times by Society of Professional Journalists uh, for my my outspoken stand standpoint on um, on what's been going on. Where can people read you? Uh, that one's at yellowscene.com. Yellow Scene. Yeah. Yellow y e l l o w s c e n e. Dot com. Dot right. com. And then uh, two Octobers ago, um, the one of the one of the editors over at uh, the Colorado Times Recorder, uh, Eric Malbech, who also worked at the Yellow Scene as an editor many years ago, so I've known him for a long time. He was at the ACLU for a while. He asked me if I'd want to write a column on anti-Semitism, and I said yes. We didn't talk about pay or anything at that point. I just said yes because you know I worked a lot of that perception or that perspective into my work for the Yellow Scene and the column writing I was doing for them. Why? Um, because it, to me, it wasn't happening. It wasn't being discussed nearly enough. Mm -hmm. um, Why does it need to be discussed? For the exact reasons we were talking about. History doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. You know, Mark Twain's quote. But if we shout it out, can we maybe stop it before it gets too bad? I, I, I would hope so. You know, I, that's, that's the operating assumption. We know the approach of keeping quiet about it really didn't work. As I watched the U.S. and the Holocaust, a lot of Jews said, hey, just be quiet. You know, we want to fit in. There was that attitude, although in our defense, most Jews realized the threat long before others did. And it's amazing to watch Roosevelt's reaction. I think they were pretty even-handed in their approach. I don't know if you've watched it yet. But I haven't yet. He was dealing with a lot of bigots in the Congress. Mm -hmm. So his hands were tied by quotas. Wow, they have footage of these people on the ship of the dam, the St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable footage. That's, so. that's, 
it's a it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't stay, uh, place to to be when you're a Jew in that era because dual loyalty is a trope we have to fight. Right. So if you're an American Jew having that fight, suddenly you know people are like, okay, so your loyalties aren't to America, your loyalties are to other Jews in other countries, and you fall right into that trap. So you know American Jewry at the time, you know it was it was a it was a difficult position to have to be very outspoken about the war, especially when like, you know, big leaders of industry like Henry Ford are still are very much in lockstep with what was happening. Well, you bet you kidding me on this. Now I didn't know about Henry Ford that I call him Henry fucking Ford. <laughs> and for a long time, I would not drive a Ford, but, but then I had to as a chief deputy, they gave me a Taurus, but his, ancestors apologized for him, right? Yeah. yeah and his, especially his, uh, during the days of... Antecedents. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, repentance, uh, and sincere apology, but mm -hmm. then he was financing what the Dearborn Independent... You know what I learned on this special? You think, okay, it's a Dearborn, Michigan paper, so they printed the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. So mm -hmm. stupid. The Jews... You know, we have to drink blood of Gentile babies. Always the babies. They're going after our babies. And and it was in the Dearborn Independent. But I thought it was like that, you know, Eastern Plains paper that uh, got Allenberg killed, you know? That it was, a, you know, the Dearborn Independent was a weekly paper, second biggest circulation in America. Yeah, and, and on top of that, Henry Ford was personally distributing it to everyone he did business with and financing <laughs> the bigoted father charles coglin who dominated radio with screeds against the jews yeah the very fabric of what built this i mean the bigotry has always been the fabric of this country at, at every level like you you can't get away from it De denver was built by the clan you know <laughs> it's, it's well i i would i would say that we had a spasm of the clan in the 20s and the fact that stapleton you know it was a hundred years ago yeah and uh but at, the at show our october boom. 1st that's when mussolini took power october 22 yeah yeah it's it's this history repeating itself but then let's talk about charles Lindbergh one of the greatest uh, heroes in America, and he's the leader of this movement that says, stay out of the war because it's all the Jews are trying to manipulate us, going over, consorting with Hitler, getting awards. Lindbergh. Mm -hmm. I mean, and he, he starts a movement that he calls America First. Right. Where do we heard that before or since? Right. And when people like me said, I don't like this name. Oh, come on. You're being oversensitive. Bannon really didn't say that about that Jewish school. That's the liberal media. Doesn't it start with tearing down the media? Just like Trump. Who did he tell? Barbara Walters or somebody? Of course, I'd tear down the media and the justice system because those people are paid to find out the truth. He's, he's literally on record saying that it doesn't matter if it's true or not, but he's going to tell you it's a lie. And if he does it hard enough and uh, frequently enough, eventually you'll believe it. And and the truth is, is he's right because both the left and the right 
are now in this uh, it mired in this vacuum of all media is evil. No matter what the source is, you can't believe it unless I find the source that that aligns with my own preconceptions from YouTube, from some guy who happened to record his own video and he was a doctor of chiropractic. Right. And you know? now he's doing it with the courts, the rule of law, mm-hmm. FBI. You can't believe your lying eyes. He's got a judges on the bench who do his bidding. Yeah. I've known about the anti-Semites who are really pretty well known because I'm not that smart. Lindbergh, Ford, Father Coughlin. But you've educated me in your columns about so many more. And <laughs> there's, there's and, and this, this special does too. But, but you know, what is that? Willy Wonka and the char- chocolate, chocolate factory? Yeah, Roald Dahl um, was a notorious uh, anti-Jew. You know, he was a Jew hater. He didn't like Jews. He had a... Um, Let's stop right there, because I like saying Jew hater better than anti-Semite. Uh, it's what it is. It's like I call Peter Boyles out as a Jew hater, and he always liked to play around with that word. Well, anti-Semitism, what does that mean? You know, Arabs are Semites, too, and you get locked. No, I'm just saying you're a Jew hater. Yeah. Okay. See, that's that's a common um, arguing tactic of people right. who want to try. It's like the fact that Zionism has become a coded word for Jew hatred at this point. Right. Um, anti-Semitism was was crafted as a word originally for Jew hatred. Yes, it was based on the fact that Judaism had a Semitic language in Hebrew, and Arabic is a Semitic uh, Semitic language as well. But the the term itself was coined specifically in Britain discussing the hatred of Jews as anti-Semitism. So when people start playing semantic games like like that, it's 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 immediately a red flag that okay, this is a person who believes these things and 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 wants to uh, troll and gaslight the people who are holding them accountable for their stances. Absolutely. And every time there's a swastika, oh, that's a fake swastika. It doesn't look right. The guy drew it doesn't know this. Meanwhile, we had somebody who tried to blow up a Pueblo shawl. Yeah. Almost zero coverage. And I was on the air live when the Tree of Life. In uh, Pittsburgh? Yes. And I covered that. Nobody else on Denver Trump Radio did. Nobody called, hey, how is the Jewish community feeling? They could give a shit about it because the guy who did it was a Trump supporter. Hyas had uh, put on presentation at the show, the Hebrew Immigration Immigration Society. Society. And I mean, the the things that they just sweep under the rug. So I'm glad you brought that up because that that was a huge moment for me because this guy believed, based on what he was hearing from the Trump camp, that George Soros, the evil Jewish secret puppet master behind all the scenes, was financing this migrant caravan filled with uh, rapists and drug dealers to approach the, our border and 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 infiltrate the country. And this guy bought all that. And his logical leap from that was to go attack a synagogue in Pittsburgh and murder 11 people out of the blue. And no one held the right accountable in the far right. No one held the Trump camp accountable for his lies 
creating this vacuum of intelligence where this guy was able to fill it with hate, hatred. And and then there was a, there, I think I caught a question earlier, maybe on a different podcast you did about, um, about Mike Pence, about whether or not he was anti-Semitic. And I remember him trotting out a messianic rabbi for the invocation for his uh, rally appearance to... Um, uh, to show solidarity with the American Jewish public. Mm-hmm. And while I can't pretend to know what's in Mike Pence's heart, trotting out a messianic rabbi for that moment was an extremely poor taste. Right, a messianic rabbi is one who says, I'm a Jew, but I believe in Jesus Christ. Christ they're is, Christians who adopt right. Jewish ways. Hey, hey there's, there's a name for you guys. You're Christians. Christian. That's fine. <laughs> You're, be Christian. You're a Christian. Right. Have fun. Right. Yeah, it's, Jews for Jesus, that always it's an appropriation. stirred me up. Not like hell when I watch those movies, but it just stirred me up because what are you doing? What are you saying? Yeah, it's listen, practice your faith, sure, but in a moment like this, whatever your faith is, for that for Pence to have made that choice spoke a lot about what Pence's beliefs were to me. Well, thanks for listening to my podcast. And uh, Trump is at the root of it. But he's exposed so many people. I think good people are off the Trump train now, and they condemn him. Uh, And they have to do right, right. Good people. And if you're not off at this point, then you're off. Yeah, then you're not a good person anymore. I could forgive people for voting for Trump the first time. It was wrong, and I could see it coming. I apologize, honestly. I literally could make And that I look back, and maybe there's a little, you know, of the, all these shitty things in me. I have to, I did not like Hillary Clinton, and I thought she was corrupt. I didn't like the Clinton Foundation, what I thought were shakedowns, but my God, compared to this guy. Anyway, it, it was an error in judgment on my part. It makes everything suspect, but I like your calculation that Holy cow, by 2020, we knew. By 2020. And you know, now we're in 2022, okay? You can jump off now, but please, now, right? Well, you did something that a lot of people have a hard time doing, and that's acknowledging your own mistake, acknowledging your own whatever the issues are, your own prejudices, your own privileges, Mm -hmm. those things that... My own money grubbing. You're right, because I had an easy gig. But I also like the opportunity to to keep talking. I like to express myself. Thank God for podcasts and my own sponsors. I figured out a way. But I know what it's like to worry about losing your job because you say the wrong thing. Yeah, and that's a- another problem. Right. You know, especially when, you know, you're doing it in a respectful way that's holding uh, – holding authority accountable. And I mean, that's the whole point of the fourth estate, right? Like the reason we exist is to hold the, the, the feet to the flames of the people who we elect. That's our job top to bottom. So if, if you, you once you devolve in a partisanry, um, which, which we can't get out of at this point, that's a problem. But then once you further devolve into, um, into accepting the behaviors of the people because they align right. with your with your station's identity, you uh, you have 
you have trashed what it is to be a journalist, what it is to be uh, a reporter in this country. You've trashed the fourth estate, and you're tearing up the Constitution in that process. And why did I miscalculate? Like, I went on to Salem fully aware that they were a Christian statement. They come into a Christian station. Their business model is to come into a market with a Christian talk and then straight conservative talk. And I thought it would be different, and Peter Boyles, I thought, was a part of it because he was saying, I'm not a Christian, Mm -hmm. and that was pretty bold. And then he said, I'm not a Republican. That was pretty bold. But then Trump came along, and he went all in for him. And then I saw on a national level Hugh Hewitt, Michael Medved, Dennis Prager. I respected them all. It's pretty intellectual. And I thought, these guys won't go for Trump. Hewitt wrote a book about Romney. I I like Mitt Romney. I still can go for Romney because he voted to remove Trump. He's a thousand times better than Trump. Right. (laughs) You know, at least he voted to remove that crook. But then uh, Prager, I thought I can trust him. He's a smart Jewish guy. But turns out, no. Medved's the one guy who would not toe the line. Mm -hmm. And as Phil Boyce told me, we have the Medved rule. He's gone. He lost his job. Hugh Hewitt turns out to be, I don't know, a sock puppet. He's got his own demons. I met him many times when he was in Denver. And then Prager's the biggest disappointment. Sure. What's going on there? Well, every time I see a Jew uh, who is still in the Trump camp, you know, it's like it's it's a I'm biting my tongue not to call him a capo. You know, it's mm. it's it's hard for me at this point to see that. And, you know, same time, it's, uh, what is it, two Jews, three's opinion, three opinions? Right. Um, you know, our... But this is beyond the pale. It's not a legitimate opinion, right? I agree, you know, and and, and there are people in other, um, you know, other people of color in other groups who have representatives who align themselves with the mindset of white power. You know, it happens. Right. Um, you know... Right, it happened. Stephen Miller, oh my God, what is Shonda? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, Jews can be terrible people, so stipulated. Yeah, right, right, and 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 they are first and foremost of of the of the ilk, but uh, but thankfully they're still a minority. Um, you know, was it seventy percent of American Jews lean left, um, intend to vote Democratic? You know, right, and then. Of the 30% left, I, I know personally a number of them who voted for Trump first time and were off the train by the second election and voted for Biden because they were, and I'll tell you the only reason, the only real reason was uh, COVID because these were all older Jews, you know, in their 60s, 70s, and 80s who felt like Trump had abandoned them in, in when it came to dealing with the pandemic. So they were mad, and that's why they voted against him. If, if it wasn't for COVID, Trump would 100% have won a second term. Right. Some people aren't paying attention. Some people aren't that smart. It's the people with microphones that bother me. Let's talk about Tucker Carlson. How big of a danger is this dude? You know, um, yeah, I just caught a clip where it was, uh, it was Hannity and Ted Koppelson. And it was an older clip. I think Ted Koppel. Yeah, Ted Koppel, rather. Right. Um, who were having a discussion and Ted Koppel called him out. I think it was 2017. Yes. yes. Said, you're bad for this country. Yes, he is. And you know, oftentimes, if I could just no, divert, because yeah. I used to get pissed off when people would compare Kaplis and Silverman to Hannity and Combs, because I was actually on the right of Kaplis on some issues and, you know, some crime, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was a little less predictable. And 
Combs was uh, like the acknowledged loser. He lost the show and stuff like that. But in the end, Combs was right. Hannity's a really bad dude, really bad. Mm -hmm. I heard Kaplan express admiration for Hannity the other day. Hannity's knee-deep in this January 6th shit, right? And enabling Trump. And it's it's shameful what Hannity did. Absolutely. And and Koppel nailed him back in the day. And I used to get along with Hannity. I was on his show, and when he came to Denver for the GOP, uh, Mm -hmm. no, for the Dumb Convention, he came... Say, Craig Silverman, say hi. And, you know, so I was friends with a lot of these Fox News guys, Bill O'Reilly, et cetera. But now, if you look back on it, Combs was the better guy, the far better guy. And he did radio, and he probably held his tongue better about Hannity, but look how far Hannity went with Trump. That's what I mean. Hannity, well, you know, before Trump, we could kind of put up with Hannity, or maybe not. Maybe I'm just naive. Maybe this started so long ago. Probably started with Pat Buchanan or Barry Goldwater before that. Yeah, Buchanan's a good example um, because he had a pulpit, mm-hmm. you know, and outrage sells, clearly. Uh, that has been a driving force in media for the last, you know, 50 years. But, you know, Fox News, the way I look at it, the mistake that was made was back at the the origination of the FCC and the the beginning of of the 24-hour broadcast cycle when the rule was made that for, for one hour of every 24, you need to provide local news. Mm-hmm. The, where we screwed up in the formation of that rule was by not saying you can't profit off of it because that was the rule that carried all the way through since then. Because now they discovered there was profit to be made in outrage. Mm-hmm. And everything became a shtick. You know, I mean, Alex Jones' own lawyers are saying, anyone reasonable can't believe that mm-hmm. this is anything but an act. But yeah, he, he, either A, everyone is unreasonable, or B, you don't come across as just an act anymore. He's something sensational, so they'll stay through the break. Right. And, and say it with all of the conviction and create, you know, American Americans... Our our commitment to the rugged individualist mindset that John Ford made in his Western movies has led us to a path where we are definitely at a reckoning because we have an entire portion of society that has embraced the idea that the earth is still flat, that JFK didn't die in his plane crash, JFK Jr. didn't die in his plane crash, that um, the protocols of uh, the elders of Zion which were cleverly repackaged into QAnon, is a thing that needed to be trumpeted and championed. Do you listen to Denver Trump radio at all? I do not. You're smart. (laughs) But I can tell you I listen way too much because I kind of monitor. I I was in the system so long, what are you going to talk about today? It's, It's interesting to me. But they never talk about QAnon. Never talk about Boebert's connection to it, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Right. What about Lauren Boebert? Is she a problem when it comes to bigotry? She is absolutely a problem. Um, I I wonder uh, just how many people in the third district really agree with her politics. You mean the Christian nationalism? The Christian nationalism. Wait, she went on Dan Kaplis and he said it was a hit piece and she agreed. 
I say, yeah, hit the nail on the head, yeah, please. Yeah, right. Yeah, she, it's, she, she said the church should be telling the state what to do, not vice versa. Correct. And um, and she said it from a church stage at a mega church where they believe in end times and all the stuff that's going to happen to the Jews. And Dan Kaplan's, well, you vote Republican. I like that. Yeah. And I go along with those big guns, too. That's, you know, that is an era of absolute consternation for me when the right adopts Israel as a pet platform. Mm-hmm. because it's always the underpinning of that, whether they will admit it or not, has been evangelical Christianity, which wants us all back in Israel for the end times. That's the, this, their crazy prophecy that this is the thing and this is why we need to support Israel. Um, it's it's like there's no doubt in my mind these people see Jews as uh, an other, no matter what, but we fit the narrative of their political agenda. Well, you're getting personal now because Brian Taylor, the guy who recruited me and said, we love you, you're the best show we ever had, and couldn't stop talking to me about Israel. We love Israel. I'm out at this church in Arvada. You got to come to our Israel days. And you know what? I think David Koppel said it to me. His father, a smart Jew, married... uh, a non-Jew. David's not a Jew, but he understands Judaism. And he once said to me, well, if these Christians believe that Israel has to be the Jewish state mm-hmm. to trigger these end times, mm-hmm. what do you care as long as they're for Israel, right? right? right. Being a Jewish state. And in a way, you say, well, what do I care? But that's where I got lost because I didn't like the Iran nuke deal. Yep. I didn't like Barack Obama engaging in that sure and trump said it's a bad deal of course once the money was gone it was gone i don't know why you cancel it then it was the you know unfreezing of the assets but whatever i found myself agreeing with uh the management at kus and other conservatives in my support of israel against some real hostility from the left you sure and it it pushed me in that direction and that is that is one of the one of the issues that is made it's a wedge issue for me with the left is the absolute um lack of understanding of the history of Israel uh the history of the conflicts that exist there the understanding of what is actually going on there and the push to uh turn zionism into an ugly word which it's not you know you can be pro palestinian and a zionist which is what I consider myself. I believe that the Palest- that the Palestinians should have the right to self-rule and they should have their own state. And I believe that Israel absolutely has every right to exist. And those two things you can believe at the same time. It's absolutely true. But the left has been pushing, especially since, um, since, since the big flare-up in March of last year, um, in a way that has been really un comfortable for me because I'm watching it. And as someone who comes from a very more liberal minded perspective, um, yeah, it's a constant source of, of, of conflict for me with the left side. But meanwhile, the right, you know, as Benjamin Disraeli said, uh, the Jews are a nervous people. 18 centuries have broken their uh, 18 centuries of Christian love have broken their nerves. You know, that's, I felt some of that Christian (laughs) love, George Brockler, nine o'clock hour Friday. Reacting to a lot of tweets 
by me about anti-Semitism within his party shit I'm hearing on the air. Mm-hmm. And he, he said he just realized that our three top state officials are Jewish. Mm-hmm. Jenna Griswold, Phil Weiser, and Jared Polis. Mm-hmm. And he said that there's some quota at a Berkeley school, and he says it's going to come to Colorado, and that it's incumbent upon these Jews to call it out the way he's calling it out. And yeah. where are they? Why don't they condemn anti-Semitism? <laughs> when I was yesterday at Bobby R's ceremony, yeah. And Polis and Wise were there giving impressive speeches. I hope they're online. They are. I read. I haven't read Polis's, but I read Wiser's. But it was like well, they're too timid. Where have we heard that before? You know, this cis fight, Jew. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jews are so timid. They're weak. You know, yeah. and they're pussies. They're and, and they're so smart, but they're really in a clever, conniving way, and they'll work against us. I mean, it's the same tropes, and it's always about money. All I hear out of these guys, oh, Polis is Richie Rich Kid, and Weiser has all this money, and isn't Polis so smart and clever, and same with Weiser, the professor. Right. Calls him the professor. Like, we don't understand these tropes. Right. Am I am I wrong? Am no, I just watching not, too much of this uh, Ken Burns? You're not wrong at all. And this is, this is what is feeding the narrative. We have, um, since... 2015 since basically since Trump announced his presidency and and I don't want to make the mistake of saying that this is all Trump's fault I'm Trump is a symptom of the problem and Trump definitely uh, added plenty of fuel. fuel on the fire but since since his announcement of his election in 20 of his planning to run for presidency in 2015 the increase in anti-semitism has been on a hockey stick of 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 mm-hmm. of events um it was flat mostly for many years previous to that and every year we're reaching new heights that's just what they said about climate change and we all know that's jew science right that's <laughs> absolutely jew science right. just like the polio vaccine right um the uh if you accounted for cap uh, adjusted for capita jews are the number one targeted ethnic group in this country for hate crimes today that 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 outpaces every other ethnic group and there's there's a reason this is happening um the reasons are multiple they are historic and the differences today is um i hope that jews today are willing to confront and that's why I do what I do is because my I have no problem getting my nose bloodied in the fight. I will do that. I'll take it on the chin if I have to. I'll stand face to face. I've done it before plenty of times in my life. I've had, you know, the wonderful experience of anti-Semitism face to face. And I'm not going to back down. And I don't think the children of the children of the Holocaust are either. You are starting my blood brother, and I had a brother, my beautiful brother, Bill, who was who looked a little like you, and I loved him to death. He's much smarter than me and much less, much more private. Mm-hmm. But when we found out that an emissary of Louis Farrakhan was putting on an assembly at George Washington High School, mm. 
he and I put together pamphlets and boycotted that or just gave handouts and protested it. Yeah, understand the man that you guys are going to, to support here. Understand what how, right. how, how, how right. much Jew hatred yes. boils through his veins. And so I felt that from the left. And I'm just going to stand up to people who are Jew haters at any time. And it was built into me by my parents. It's my own survival instinct. Yeah. And I'm, but I'm just mortified to realize how many people I was around are akin to this. I had a friend down the street when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And we were fast friends. And I would have him over to my house all the time. But I was never allowed in his house. Mm-hmm. And eventually my parents said, well, they're German. Or whatever it was, some people. And it turned out that really that was the reason. Yeah. You're just not, you could come to my house, but you don't expect to come to my house. Yeah, almost an identical experience. Mm -hmm. I had a kid, uh, my best friend at the time, who said, I used to stay over at his house, and one day he said, you can't come over anymore. He said, because my parents say Jews steal things. There you go. You know, nine years old. Mm -hmm. And it comes from the parents. And Peter Boyles, who (laughs) I have a comment, he he acknowledges his, his parents were bigoted and... And it's tough. And it's like Donald Trump. His dad was a Klansman, right? So it's right. tough when you're raised that way. Yeah. I, but, but you can overcome it. Exactly. It, right. You, you got to be better than that. Right. I can't. And, and, and here's the thing about Boyles. I have so many cases against him. One, have you ever heard of me? It's always against Israel. Mm-hmm. Always. Yep. But the thing that bothers me is that Alan Berg was killed for being a Jew. I've had Judith Berg on my podcast who said that Peter Boyles, Peter Boyles called her, a I don't even like to say yeah. the word. Did you hear? I, I, yeah, I listened to yeah. I listened to that uh, that portion of and, the podcast. And, and I, I don't even like to say the word. Yeah, that's, that's one that'll bring me to blows. And did you believe her when she said that? Yeah, no reason not to. Uh, I, and I, I, Peter Boyles is the kind of guy from what I... I've never met him personally, but um, you get to a point in your career when your career is about trying to fire people up on a microphone that eventually you've read enough of your own press that you feel that you are actually empowered to say things like that because you believe and have preached the absolute freedom of speech for so long that you've convinced yourself that this is acceptable behavior. I have no problem believing that what Judith Berg said was true. Are you old enough to remember Alan Berg? I was nine when he was killed, and I remember his death. I don't remember him on the radio. Oh, I do. Um, and I don't remember him really palling around with boils on there. Maybe it happened, but if you read Steve Singular's book, mm-hmm. in episode 70 of my show, Steve Singular knew Alan Berg, did the last interview with him on 5280, talked to all of his family, recounts that Boyles was very jealous about Berg being the highlight of 60 Minutes instead Mm -hmm. of him, that they were competing against each other and the green-eyed monster was going back and forth. Boyles, by his own admission, those were his nightmare years. Mm -hmm. Berg, when he came back from Chicago, gained his sobriety. So how could they really hang out together? And then I had on... um, David Sabitz, who was a good friend of Alan Berg, who said, no, no, that was not. Uh, Berg was friends with Al Zinn. And then 
Harold Dubinsky came up with the tape about Zen and and Berg holding forth mm-hmm. two hours. I put that on my show. So I'm trying to unravel this mystery. So Boyles wants to say I'm Berg's best friend. Of course, he's dead now. What can Berg say? Right, you can't label the dead. <laughs> right. God forbid I pass away. Please know who my friends really are and not who right. you think they are, right? Or who might grab that mantle. I think that that's exactly it. Your Boyles is in the... He, it, given the benefit of the doubt, let's say it's the most generous take possible. That they were friends. At they one liked point. each other. And maybe at one point they were. Maybe. Or he can see him as a colleague... And he looks back through rose-colored glasses to the beginning of his career, and he has created um, a story that works for himself. But um, I think a bigger piece of that is the fact that Alan Berg is a bit canonized in American radio, more so than just the fact that he was a Denverite in, in Colorado's radio history. Alan Berg's name, if you're in radio, for sure, everyone knew. And tying your own wagon to that train seems like, you know... How can I be a bigot? Some of my best dead friends are Jewish. Right, right. Yeah, and that's why I have have license to refer to another Jew, to any Jew as a kike. That's, you know, his mindset. That's... And this is, again, armchair psychology, you know, from the outside looking in, but I don't... I wouldn't give it any sway. I didn't inherit, but I did listen to Alan Burke. Mm-hmm. And he didn't like pompous asses, and he would not have liked Donald Trump. I agree with that. Yeah, from everything I've listened to over no. the years. And the other thing, the day that he, the next day his show was planned, he was going to go after guns again. Mm-hmm. He hated big guns. He hated the NRA. Yeah. And this week, you can hear Peter Boyles doing ads for the Tanner Gun Show. Right. What about guns and its tie-in to uh, anti-Semitism? You know, that's an interesting one for me because my father used to tell me, it is every Jew's responsibility to arm himself Mm -hmm. or herself. And I understand that perspective. Um, I am, I was, you know, I'm an Eagle Scout uh, troop 712 i was raised you know shooting and riding and camping um i don't have a problem with gun ownership at a certain level um i think that uh we have seen that uh become me personally i've given up on this argument i'm all for reasonable uh, rules around gun ownership. You know, I have a 12 gauge. I have an old rolling block 22. Those are the only two guns I own. And I'm never going to be interested in owning more. Um, come on, everybody needs an AR 15 <laughs> and AK 47, right? It's, it's, um, the absurdity of the need to create your own identity around gun ownership is silly to me. I also gave up that fight. You know, I was much more vociferous years ago uh, about we need more effective gun control in this country. And after Sandy Hook, I was like, I'm done. It's it's nothing is going to happen here. I've lost this battle. 
I can't win this battle, so I'm going to focus on other ones that I think I got a shot. Lost at battle to the gun merchants. Once again, yep. it's for yep. money. Oh, and a 100%. lot of this is tied to making money, right? The NRA it's is part of selling the guns. That's all they're doing is yes. selling guns. And I mean, come on. The best thing to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. So let me sell two guns. So, you know, it's it's an argument that like, here's my point. You can have to, to people who who preach the Second Amendment as though that's the important one um, over all of the rest and people with arsenals in their houses. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to say you can have all the guns and you can keep buying all the guns, as many guns as you want. Let's talk about some sort of uh, public option of health care. So that's my compromise for you. You guys go, go gall crazy with your guns. Have as many as you want. Let's talk about, as a compromise, let's talk about some way to take care of the least of us. I'm just coming up a case where a Denver cop said I'm a firearms collector. He was in uh, incipient gun shop dealer too. So he had all these weapons so much so that one of his buddies took an AK-47 and he didn't even notice it missing until, lo and behold, it was used to shoot my client and kill Isabella Joy Thales, mm. a woman of color, my client, a man of color, shot by a white guy whose cop friend was a white guy. No coverage of this, really, on Denver Trump radio. Of course not. It's They will take every opportunity the minute there's that one case out of 10,000 where a, an armed individual, private individual, kills a shooter, right? Which never happens statistically, but it you know it happened once, right? But anything that goes against that narrative is, or up. anybody who will stand up to their false narratives, they get banished too. That's fine. There are other outlets, sure. And I was guest with them for so long, and then in service of Trump, they didn't want to hear my case for the removal. of the removal of Donald J. Trump, and really the media, what do you see there? It's, You're a media guy. You've given up on talk radio. Is that just what should be done? It, it's it's, uh, it's a know, waste area for old Republicans. Um, it's, it's, that's an that's arguable standpoint, yeah. That perspective is probably one that, that is, you can make an argument that you're right on that. Um, you know, I'll listen to talk radio every once in a while. I like to listen to uh, the sports zoo still, you know, right. Broncos stuff. I hear Dave Logan and, and Big Al talking nowadays. And um, But yeah, for the most part, it's it's, it's only going to happen if I'm in my car. It's not like I'm tuning in at home. Um, for me personally, uh, I read so much more faster than I can, I can hear information. So I'd rather get the information on a printed, you know, in a printed manner. Um, I like to hit, listen at about two or three times speed, especially my own yeah, podcast. Yeah. It sounds better when I talk really fast. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's one of the reasons I like TikTok so much as a platform. Just I haven't to, tried it. To I'm scared content. to. It's brilliant. Um, are, they, are the Chinese manipulating your mind there? Probably. There's probably some, there's probably some level of dial turning and button pushing when it comes to the algorithm that produces content. But the content that gets produced to me is content that's generally interesting to me. And that is the science guys 
the astronomy guys uh, and women, the um, bo- the botanists, the biologists, like I, very little politics coming through because the algorithm has figured out that the stuff I spend time on mm-hmm. and it's serving me that stuff. Um, but what I love about it is it's clipped to, you know, the, the stuff that's out there is one to three minutes. So I'm not forced to listen to really long form narrative over the radio. So do you do this deliberately for your mental health? Do you dose yourself? Because I feel like I overdo it sometimes. This documentary is getting to me, and I'm not skipping through it. There are so many images and facts I want to absorb. Yeah. Like Hitler killed himself a day after he realized Mussolini had been hung up backwards. Right. Right. I didn't know that. Right. I should have known that. Well, and depending on who you ask, Hitler's living in Venezuela right now, too. Right. So. That's another conspiracy theory. <laughs> Probably Q will come up with that. And they won't talk about it right. in Republican circles, but they'll take their votes. 100%. And they'll stand next to him at the conventions, or they'll stand on a stage that looks a lot like a Odin Rune and talk about it. Odin Rune. See, I'm never going to like that movie. I never liked it in the first place. So, but how, what other authors and products do we have to be wary of? Because they come from Jew haters. Well, and the reason I brought that up was the um, was the uh, GOP rally um, two years ago where the stage was in that shape. Yes. And <laughs> it was almost as if this is one of the things and one of the things that makes me think the GOP has become an Ouroboros and it's just eating itself because the irony is brilliant. It is they're literally bringing out a golden idol of Trump into the the rally for people to worship and and the, and the Christian fundamentalist audience is a hundred percent behind all of this. And I'm like, I, is this scripted? Is this, is this being scripted? It was like when Trump first started running, I almost thought for a couple of minutes that he had, he and, um, the Clintons and, um, what's his name? The raging Cajun, um, uh, James Carville had gotten in a room and concocted this plan to get Hillary elected. So little did I think of Trump's chances at that point. Mm-hmm. Little like, did we know. Yeah, so little. And because he had had a history of friendliness with the Clinton camp as well. So I'm like, I was watching this thing thinking this is going to be a runaway. This is ridiculous. But you, I went broke underestimating the intelligence or overestimating right. the intelligence and, of the average And the cheating. I'm not going to be cowed into saying Putin wasn't a part of it. They worked at it. I've read the book. Sure. And um, I think Trump was shocked when he won. And Hillary was a terrible candidate. So that's why these things happen. But I want to end with the optimism, if that's possible. Yeah, because, it's hard. <laughs> I'm... Okay, can I suggest that maybe people prone to this kind of Thinking our older people, the Fox News viewer, they're dying off. The next generation will be better or no? I I think there's some of that. The boomer generation as they go, I think is probably saddled with the larger number of people who are susceptible to this. But there is a too significant undercurrent of, um, of people under the age of, I'd say, 50 who absolutely have bought into the idea that 
um, expertise is is not a thing. And I think that's along the lines of political, historic, financial, and certainly medical, and certainly scientific. You know, the, and that sounds anti-Semitic to me. I, that helps the cause I mean, because they look to yes. the conspiracy generators, and that's where anti-Semitism falls. The you know the fact that QAnon was repackaged, Protocols of Elders of Zion, Adrenochrome was blood libel. And it was just repackaged. And instead of calling it out as Jews, they said Hollywood elites. We know what you meant. Um, my concern, my biggest concern, is that January 6th was Trump's Munich putsch. Mm-hmm. It was Trump's beer hall putsch. And I'm concerned that either a Trump, a Trump acolyte, or um, someone like uh, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, will end up filling that vacuum. Because I, you know, I, I'm not going to rip apart Biden. Um, I think he's done. I, I think he's done about as I expected. Um, but I don't think he's going to be. I, I, I've, I'm, I'm concerned, and I think the the you don't midterms. You think he's going to be up to it? I think the midterms are going to tell us one way or the other pretty well. Oh my God! If the Republicans take over, yeah. then what? Then. I will probably be in a position where I start looking at moving to Israel again. <laughs> really? I, you know, every time I think about it, I, I stop myself because, um, I got into this argument with my father when I was like 20. Uh, he, we were talking about politics and he referred to me as a Jewish American. And I said, no, pop, I'm an American Jew. And he stopped because my father and I would have these kinds of debates and he looked at me and says, why are you flipping the modifier in the subject in that sentence? And I said, because if history has told me anything, it's that my nationality has always been second to the blood in my veins. No matter what country on earth my people have lived in, that country didn't matter to the people who ran it when I, where I was concerned. Being a Jew was always the first thing that I was labeled. So I might as well just acknowledge the fact that being a Jew is who I am, and the American part of that is a modifier that they can take away from me. Well, that's powerful. I, I think that we have to speak out. I really admire your columns in the Colorado Times Recorder. What has been your favorite that you've written on the subject? You know, the, the one that stood out to me a lot was um, going after the Goyam Defense League, which is a group of uh, a, probably a small group, but a growing group of um, Jew-hating uh, neo-Nazis who have proclaimed themselves to be neo-Nazis. And discovering that two of them who live locally, um, Vincent uh, and his wife, uh, Bertinelli, uh, are employed by the All Friends Incorporation, the All Friends Incorporated um, uh, organization. And what that, that group does is help uh, it places people who are um, uh, cognitively impaired uh, with host homes and host families. Mm. So Vincent and Brianna, I believe was her name, Bertinelli, uh, are a host home for someone uh, from that has been placed there by all friends. As I dug into this and discovered uh, all plenty of content of Vincent outright saying, I believe I'm a Nazi, saying I am a Nazi, um, I 
was immediately reminded of was Operation T or TJ or something like that, um, that the Nazis had where they were killing people who were disabled, 200,000 people who were disabled. Hmm. Um, And that was during the course of uh, the Holocaust. That was, they believed in, uh, you know, the purity of And you know where they got that from? There's part of the documentary from eugenics. Yeah, 100% eugenics. Teddy Roosevelt, John Rockefeller, Andrew Carnegie. Yep. And some people who I'd never even heard about. And the Germans said, hey, America does this shit. And they discriminate against people based on their race. So why can't we do it? Right. They thought America would be on their side. And this, meanwhile, this person who is getting paid by Medicaid federal funds that are funneled through um, Colorado Department of Public Health. It's a big one with William Depensley. They are are being paid to take care of this person that he Mm -hmm. as a Nazi is saying that he's taking care of. Um, I go further into it and find, I called All Friends Incorporated and I asked them directly. Um, I spoke with two partner owners who flatly denied knowing anything about the Goyam Defense League, right, or Vincent and Brianna Bertinelli's involvement with the Goyam Defense League. Come to find out, that was not true. They had been informed. I have proof of them being informed, mm-hmm. written proof of that. Um, so they lied to me. Uh, for what purpose, I don't know. Um, but they straight out lied to me. And then, then I find out that uh, one of the Aurora City Council women, uh, Allison Coombs, works for All Friends as well. Uh, I, I interviewed her and. Um, I believe she's the one who informed them. I, I do believe that, but she also uh, still works there. And she's also on um, the committee in uh, um, in Aurora for the equity, the racial equity subcommittee for the Arapahoe County Justice Coordinating Committee. So this woman, um, this person, I don't, I don't know how she identifies, but she's involved with this company that is providing cover for this couple to work, to take care, and they may be taking great care of him. I don't know, or right. her, but these, these neo-Nazis. See, I was worried about them indoctrinating vulnerable kids to be neo-Nazis themselves. Entirely possible. Um, but I there's reason to believe that they use the money that they make to take care of this person to do the awful, terrible, horrific things they do, like driving around neighborhoods and dressed as uh, Hasidic Jews and telling people that it was their fault 9-11 happened. Right. So many despicable groups like the Goyim Defense League, the Groypers. The Groypers. Michelle Malkin it says, I'm the mother of the Groypers. Right. Yeah, just disgusting. Right. And yet she's a welcome guest with a lot of these talk radio hosts as if her bigotries can't be discovered. Yeah, it was. It, it, it's more than giving cover at this point. It's it's endorsement. You know, you get into the argument of it, people love to have philosophical document uh, discussions about uh, the right to free speech and the right to be heard and the right to share differing ideas in a marketplace of ideas. Um, we have reached a point where that is no longer really the discussion. The discussion is. You're using that argument to hide the fact 
that what you want is to endorse bigotry, hatred, and division. That's not the real argument. You're using that argument. And it's and, and smart people should see through that at this point. Have you ever worked with a neo-Nazi? Worked with one? Or known one? Well, I did. And can you ask my producer for my last three or four years was Kirk Whitman. He's out of radio now, right? Right, because after I got dismissed with him and Randy Corcoran collaborating to tell some lie about me conspiring with Brian Stelter at CNN, mm-hmm. I'd call it a big lie, but it's not like the big lie that's ruining America. It's just a big lie about me wearing a blue suit that Corcoran and Whitland cooked up, and I thought Whitland was mega mega, but I didn't know he was a neo-Nazi until it got revealed by Jeremy Hohola, Westward, yeah. Colorado Springs, Antifa, whoever, Who they else? saw his postings, and this guy was a big fan of Adolf Hitler, and it shook me. You need to give a and huge you know shout yeah, to, to Colorado Springs, Antifa. Whoever's running that is doing their homework, because everything that they turn up, you can find and verify and they're doing a good job of discovering the people like your former producer who I listen to Stefan Tubbs and Yeah, he had him on air all the time as his executive producer and stood by him even after this was all disclosed. And once it was conclusively shown, they don't talk about any of it. Right. Peter Boyles had him in to castigate me. Here's a fine producer, one of the great men. Kirk Whitland, tell us what you know. And <laughs> They did a press conference with Peter Boyle standing next to this neo-Nazi and Randy Corcoran. Now Boyles and Corcoran are at each other because Corcoran has gotten sued. Boyles doesn't want to get sued. Corcoran's mm-hmm. knee-deep with a guy named Joe Altman. Mm-hmm. Also with Sidney Powell, but Joe Altman is somebody that it takes courage to cover him, which means the capitalist and Brockler will never talk about him. Right. Except I had Brockler on. I said, who brought him over to Canyon Brockler did, and I never understood why a data mining company or whatever the hell he does would advertise on talk radio and get live spots for George Brockler, who's for sale. Now he's doing voiceover for that rancher who spent $11 million to be on the Brockler show and right. to pay Brockler for voiceover. Talk about a dude for sale. It's it's interesting to me that um, I, the, the, the rush to defend and and try and hide your former producer's neo-Naziism. Yes. And the refusal to accept responsibility for what could at the time be called bad judgment. You you can come out and say, we thought we knew the guy. We really did. He, w- he-, he was Kaplis's producer too. Do you think Kaplis ever talked about it? Even with me privately? Oh no. Oh what I was Well let's talk about it. it. Let's let's deconstruct what happened here. Have you ever thought that maybe with the low wages that they pay at these stations that you're gonna attract people who are into this? Uh, in a Michigana way, and you're going to get these types of people. I see it right now on his K-House show. He's got a guy from Michigan who loves Dan Boncino and Tucker Carlson. I don't know, Michigan militia. That's what always comes to mind because they covered the Oklahoma City bombing trial. But who does these jobs? If, you, if you're someone who still stands uh, behind Tucker Carlson at this point, right? you are either... It's either a super cynical stance where you are doing it for for show, 
or you you buy into the bullshit he slings. It's one of the two, and I'm and it's not just Dave and Craig saying it. The Anti Defamation League said this guy is out of bounds. He's preaching this replacement theory, the same shit that went on in Nazi Germany. They kept us out of the war. Lindbergh said they're going to replace us. That was chanted in Charlottesville. The ADL came out against Tucker Carlson, and then Brockler comes on during his anti-Semitism hour and says, where is the ADL? The ADL, they don't really care about anti-Semitism. You right. know? And he won't say shit about Tucker Carlson. Right, right, because it doesn't, it doesn't fit the narrative. And I, I, Bullshit. It, it, it be, I, I get the point that, let me back up, uh, opinion writing Opinion columnists, opinion columnists, opinion-based uh, TV and broadcast have have dug themselves a tremendous hole. I really hope and pray that there's more accountability for Alex Jones because I'm hoping that that's going to trigger a bit of a chill effect on the insanity on what happens on right wing right wing broadcast. But it needs to there needs to be a cleansing fire of accountability. There should have been one. The, the the Congress during Nixon realized that, even if you were on the right. Like, accountability has to be had at some point, right? Right. Here's how it should work. Alex Jones, can we all get an amen that he's a bad guy? Some things right. maybe we can agree about. Let's try this with capitalists and Brockler. Alex Jones, bad guy. Right after he was ordered to pay that money, who put him on his podcast, Steve Bannon. Mm-hmm. Can we get an amen that Bannon's a bad guy? Right now on Kaplan's show, I mean, he, he pays for the show. So the ads are the ad council stuff. And Steve Bannon gold ads that mm. probably cost $5. But get him the hell off your air, Kaplan. Yeah. You want to be a Bannon guy? And then with Boyles, who's had this, oh, I now realize the big lie is a lie. And I don't want to be sued. And Mike Lindell's a bad guy. Well, Mike Lindell's advertising on his Saturday morning show, along with Tanner Gunshop. Right. Can the guy spare the $10 he gets from having a Lindell ad and say, no, I'm not going to put that shit on my air, on my show? Yeah. I mean, can you do that, Bellas? And I believe you can. Is everyone so sadly for sale at this point? Have we all just sacrificed any stance of any understanding of what it is to have a moral compass that we have to we're willing to do whatever it takes to get the ad sale because i i is it what lennon said that they'll sell us the rope that we'll hang ourselves with what are you guys doing for money what are you saying and and why and how do you look at yourself in the morning in the next day when you when you stand in front of the mirror and that's you know, my father always preached that to me as far as being held accountable for everything you do. It's your choice. You have to own your choices. Um, and, and, and yeah, that sometimes means that maybe you do risk certain things. But, but that's right. And I, you, that's you why risk friendships. You, you risk, but, but you, once you've seen that, do you want to be friends with these people? Absolutely not. When your more when your morality has become such a flexible thing, where you can you can, I, I'm going through a moral crisis right now about watching the NFL. You know, I'm having a because hard time. Because of Tua and all of that. Yeah. I know that the yes. NFL is complicit. 
in in right. so much crap right. when it comes to my CTE. dad you, know, you bring him there i love my dad so much and i could tell you love george and every start of the football season we'd see people wheeled off and it's like when are they going to outlaw this right and, and it's barbaric it's the christians and the lions isn't it i have always loved watching football in i love fact, it too my father and i when we couldn't agree on anything that was the one thing we could bond mm -hmm. on was watching the broncos and like after last night or you know night before or yeah last night thursday night i'm like it's another reminder it's not like it's new to me I, i'm aware that i'm a hypocrite dealing with my own hypocrisy about enjoying football and knowing that it's destroying the brains of everybody who plays it so like i'm i'm struggling with that right you now you know who really would have a day with you Who's talk that? about the feminazis and the feminine mm. uh pussy <laughs> pacification of nfl rush limbaugh yeah yeah sure and, you know limbaugh who is so skilled that yeah. he really is culpable yeah he, he, he he, he, he really was a racial provocateur. He traded in all this shit in a friendly way, yep. and uh, he greenlighted it. Yeah, he he is the uh, he is the the Mount Olympus of of this nonsense. Same uh, with climate change. Oh, we can all drive SUVs. It don't matter. Right. Yeah. It's it's we can all we like I said we're at a crossroads. Yes. We're at a crossroads. I well, think give us hope. It's the days of awe. Do you go through this? I kind of do. I mean, this is the time to make resolutions, and I feel like I've made some bad choices. Maybe this show is a bad choice because I'm as worked up as I've ever been putting on a podcast, and I really appreciate you being a part of it. Um, Am I? Is it okay what I'm doing? Is it wrong? Is it right? Uh, what would Hashem say? Um. I I wouldn't I wouldn't suggest I would know the mind of Hashem, but I believe that um, why I do what I do, even though I know that it causes me a lot of stress mm -hmm. and rage. You know, I'm I'm angry most of the time dealing with what I do as a columnist. Um, I also feel like it's a calling and a purpose because uh, I owe it to my my nana and grandpa who lost all of their brothers and sisters and parents uh, in the holocaust um i owe it to my friends who are jews who uh, are scared and understandably so um and those who are scared are scared because they have children and they want to protect their children and i don't you know i'm i'm single i live in my own you know i have a smart dog who's great at letting me know when people are around mm -hmm. um but it's not I mean, with the name plomberg you look like an ashkenazi jew with silverman i'm not hiding and i don't want to hide right. i'm a proud jew i wear a giant magen david wherever i go or it's a giant high just because i want to be clear that if you're gonna if you're gonna be the type of person who has an issue with it you're gonna have to do it to my face you're gonna have to, you can't do it subtly um and, uh, and that's the reason, you know, I decided to call my column the Shomer, which is Hebrew for guardian or protector or, you know, Leader. shield. More of a... a Isn't that a, it the Shomer on the Hanukkah, the candle? Uh, the, it's, it's the protector of Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. The shield, uh, Shomer Shabbos, 
Okay. Yeah, the keeper of Shabbat. Right. If you're Shomer Shabbat, you don't work on the Sabbath. Right. You're you're to protect the Sabbath and keep it holy. So the reason I call it the Shomer is because, to me, um, someone's someone's got to be willing to continually be on the front line, and um, and yeah, Alan Berg set a uh, set a huge bar when it comes to um, taking it on the chin, so to speak for what we do um so yeah it's there's an old story um rebbe uh and i'll never get his name right uh shem baal tov uh told the story about a rebbe in the czarist russia era who was a giant man enormous and every time um people would come to see him he would be eating and he would just feed his face mm-hmm. nonstop. And he was always eating. And he was getting bigger and bigger. Like me down your putt pocket. 700 pounds. Like just huge man. And finally one day one of the other Rebbies came to him and said, Rebbe, why are you doing this to yourself? Why are you eating so much? Why are you just consuming so much food and getting so huge? And he said, when they came, when they, the, uh, the Cossacks, came for my parents and burned them, the wisp of smoke was tiny. When they come for me and they burn me, I want the entire world to know a Jew was burned here today. That mindset was a pre-Holocaust mindset. I am not a fan of the idea that the world needs to know a Jew was burned here today. I'm a fan of the idea that we will be willing to stand up and fight, no matter what that takes. So... Yes, it's probably not healthy uh, for the amount of agita it gives us, but I don't see another way to do it. I'm proud of what you do. Keep it up. Colorado Times Recorder should be on everybody's list of websites. Yellowscene.com. Yellowscene.com. And what about your personal website? Um, I... You know, really. Where I'm, should people really go to get the best of Dave Plomberg? You can follow me on Twitter, D underscore F L O. Um, and I have a Facebook page, uh, slash Dave Flomberg, I think, uh, for the stuff, the stories I write, I'll share it there. Um, Facebook's algorithm is really terrible about letting media f- flow through, especially, you know, uh, independent media. Well, let's circulate this podcast. Thanks for being here. Shana Tova, have an easy fast in 5783. I'm looking for a miracle. Let's have a sweet year. Let's do it. Mishpucha. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Michael Bailey, a friend, a lawyer, a sponsor. Tell everybody how you bring peace of mind to their life. So... By setting up your estate plan, you know what's going to happen to your stuff when you die. You know where it's going to go, you know who's going to get it. We've got everything in place so we're not running to a court to try to get guardianship and conservatorship as quickly as possible. But then it's an orderly proceeding of things. So, you know, there's already enough chaos with the medical emergency, but the legal part of it and who can make decisions is all outlined, it's all set up. So there's, it's like the the smooth transition of power. That's cool because you can avoid so many problems by having a medical power of attorney and discussing it with a smart guy like Michael Bailey because who should have this? It's probably somebody close 
Who do you trust most among your children to make that call? These are the hard and good questions that you ask every day, right, Michael? Right. And if you ask them beforehand, when you're not in the middle of a crisis, then when a crisis hits, we're not trying to do crisis management and medical emergency and everything else. We're going, okay, we've got a smooth transition of power here. We've got a smooth who's in charge, and we can have that all flow so that we can focus on the care. There are so many things in life that you can fill out a form and save yourself money, save yourself heartache. Some people die out of nowhere quickly, but more often you get sick, you have medical difficulties, so it all goes together. But your system works, it works beautifully. What is the best way to contact you these days? Best way, uh, you can give me a call. My phone number is 720-394-6887. And again, that's 720-394-6887. Or you can go online to michaelbaileylawllc.com. And there is a an appointment page on my website that you can use. So either way is fine. Thanks, Michael. Troubadour Dave Gunders, welcome again. Thanks, Craig. Lashana Tova. Thank you. These are the days of awe. Well, and it's not awe shucks. No. And it's not the invasion of Iraq. It's the time period from the start of Rosh Hashanah till the Book of Life is sealed on Yom Kippur. And now explain it to our audience what you say and why you say it. Well, Lashana Tova is, is Happy New Year. It's, right, but it's the go Jewish... on. That's well, the happy this part. Is, but I, this is solemn now. This may, big show. You may be asking the wrong Jew, but I mean, the, Rosh Hashanah is the beginning, like you say, of the days of all the 10 days. It's a time for uh, self-reflection because on Yom Kippur, 10 days hence, is when the book is sealed. Correct. As the story, as Our the story fate is, is sealed. Yes. Do you believe that? Well, you know, I... I don't necessarily believe in in what these prayers are in a literal sense, but they, you know, I I glean things from it. Let's put they it are metaphors. We did our Tashlik this year on the first day Rosh Hashanah. How was it for you? I had a wheelbarrow full of rocks. All right, explain Tashlik. Craig taught me the word Tashlik. Tashlik is when you you it's a it's a, it's again it's it's a ritual uh, of casting your sins into water, a river or a lake. Right. Um, and I think you, you used bread, I used stones. And uh, the idea is to, is to rid yourself of what you've done and, and basically to say out loud as you do it, um, the, the sin that you committed and that you hope to right. not commit right. again. But you're not supposed to say the other guy's sin, which you kept doing for me. It was accurate, but it kind of hurt. Was, anyway, just for future reference. I don't remember bringing yeah, your sins you know, into as it. I'm throwing things you... <laughs> I was, I was giving, I no, was that's adding. Okay, it's all right because, among other things, we're looking for a mulligan, right? We're looking for another chance, and with our prayer, it's called Unitana Tokef, which is again an acknowledgement of how powerful God is, because we're saying to God, right now, you're determining who will live and who will die, who will die at the end of his days, and who before the end of his days who by fire and who by water, who by sword and who by beast, who by hunger and who by thirst, who by earthquake and who by plague, who by strangling and who by stoning. And then it says three things can cancel the harsh decree, repentance, prayer, and charity. That's why we are using 
your best song ever. I think this is number one. And it's Sorry Isn't Good Enough. Yeah, it's good enough for God, but not good enough for our troubadour Dave Gunders. Well, there are some things where I that I, I believe to, to say you're sorry does not does not uh, absolve you of what you what you've done. Uh, but luckily, we believe that that you that you can be absolved, and you know Christians have their have their confession. You know, right. I mean, people have a need to 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 um, atone a, to atone. Thank you, or yes. to confess, and to, and to know yes. that you're being forgiven. So it's a it's it, it's a good thing, especially it if is you truly, for law enforcement. But you have to confession. truly atone. You have to true with with sincerity and with depth of feeling. Right. You have to really be sorry. And who judges that? Well, I think from my standpoint, every individual has to judge that. But you know, right? The, but you you can't come around. You forgave me for voting for Trump in 2016. Thank you for that. Well, that, that's because you've got other um, qualities that I happen to like. Right. I think that's a start right there, kind of. A repentance, but everybody judges it on their own, but it can go too far. And if somebody's like Mel Gibson, when he apologized, did you accept that? No. Why? I know I didn't because because when I see him now acting, I, I t- I'm turned off by him. Why? Because I know in his heart of hearts, he's, he's uh, anti-Semitic. He's a Jew hater. All right. And so is his dad, who was a Holocaust denier. Ross Kaminsky was powerful on this. I know Ross well. I, I, I remember when he came to town and he used to say he was an atheist. Now he talks about being a Jew, which is great. And he talked about Roger Waters. What do you do with him? He's a musician. You're a musician. Roger Waters says some horrible things about Israel. I didn't know. No, oh, yeah. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, well, you're Mr. Oblivious. At least you heard of Mel Gibson. Yes, I have. And Roger Waters. I just didn't hear his comments on Israel. I've been so worked up about anti-Semitism. I went to the Bobby R. Memorial 81 years ago and the hot sun beating down. And then there are cops all around because the governor was there, the attorney general. And I'm thinking, wow, what an opportunity for a bad guy. And I'm thinking about, my God, 34,000 people were murdered in two days exactly 81 years ago by bigots who killed them because they were Jews. I mean, sorry isn't good enough for that, right? right? It's just unbelievable. And I'm learning a lot by watching this PBS special by Ken Burns, The U.S. and the Holocaust, and how it all happened. And that America First movement led by Charles Lindbergh and a bunch of anti-Semites, Henry Ford, Father Charles Coughlin, dominating the radio with his... Let's stay out of it because it's all a Jewish war. It's Jewish this and that. Meanwhile, your dad was in Germany trying to get out and fortunately got out. You know, the Polish people didn't have that option. They didn't see it coming. That's where most Jews were. Right. That's true. Oh, my gosh. It just I've learned so much, for example, that you know that the original fascist Mussolini took power in October 1922 when his mobsterism was capitulated to by the king of Italy, and then Hitler saw that, loved it, and fascism spread. And now we have the first person out of Mussolini's party ever again elected, and it just happened, and she's a Christian nationalist. Further, what I learned is that Mussolini, who tried to escape his country, I think dressed as a woman, 
They caught him. They shot him. They hung him upside down with his mistress and word got to Hitler. And the next day, Hitler killed himself. Did you know it was that close? No. The death of those two men within 48 hours. So Mussolini came into power, but you were saying Mussolini came into power in, in 22, 22. Right, but he uh, gets killed about uh, 44, right. 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 Was. Uh-huh. Oh, no, I didn't know they were a day apart. Wow. Yeah, in their death. Mm. In their death. And those are people who should rot in hell. And I'm just sick of uh, anti-Semitism and the Jew hatred and the people who don't learn the lessons and the people who ridicule Weiser and Polis Oh, they're so rich and they're wimpy. Let's call him the professor. Let's talk about him getting his panties in a bunch. He's not a real man. People who I used to know and like and respect these anti-Semitic tropes, it's ridiculous. It's offensive. And, you know, the same people who are against the Jews, they take away the rights of other minorities and of women, of gay people for sure, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, racists are racists. I think it, uh, it's, it's spread uh, across the board in terms of, of their hatred and, and prejudice. Right, but you know and, how it always ends that way for the Mussolinis and the Hitlers and the people who go down that fascistic road? And these guys need to be called out. And the slogan when we were growing up, never again. Right, right. But it feels like it's happening again. CPAC invites Viktor Orban, who is an autocrat, an anti-Semite, Steve Bannon, uh, advises him, advises this Christian nationalist in Italy, it, it, Marjorie Taylor right. Greene, Obert. I mean, and it's happening in Sweden. I was speaking yes. too about about the, uh, the 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 far right getting a, a real foothold in Sweden. And you can see the good people who jump away from that. It might have been their policy choice, some conservative issues, but you got to condemn it. You've got to condemn it strongly. You have to identify it, right? You've got to say, like you're a harsh song here. No, sorry isn't good enough. Man, you can't do that. And these people who enable them, who enable Bobert, who's against Zelensky, why? Because he's Jewish? She doesn't want to, she wants to support Putin with his cross around his neck over the little Jew Zelensky? I mean... Am I wrong? Isn't Putin right up there? I don't know what Bobert's thinking. It's hard to get into her brain. But I don't, she voted. She right. voted pro Putin. Right. No, no. I, I and, 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 right. And it's that's important. only about fifteen percent of the Republicans, but it's an active part of it. Yeah. And so I hope that probably not even popular amongst Republicans now to be in to to favor Putin. I agree. Yeah. But there's a significant minority led by Tucker Carlson. I don't know. What has he said recently about Oh, Putin? he's always in favor of Putin. And when the Nord Stream uh, gas line got cut, he blamed Biden and absolved Putin. He yeah. always absolves Putin, says that uh, we should stay out of it and that Putin is entitled to do what he's doing. I don't see what he, he, he did a show from Viktor Orban's Hungary. He likes Bolsonaro in Brazil, and he's the top personality there. Don't tell me. These guys aren't playing with fascism and authoritarianism. No, I, I won't because I see it. I see it as well. Yeah. And then my uh, former friend Dan Kaplis every day refers to his friend Tucker, and he gets the sound bites from this guy from Michigan who feeds him a steady diet of Bongino, 
had Tucker Carlson and he plays it for his audience? Come on, man. You got to be better than that. It's gone too far. And you know, somebody tweeted, hey, remember when capitalists would try to convert you on air and said, that's his greatest goal for me to become a Catholic or a Christian. I mean, how would you react to that? If they knew you, they wouldn't want you. <laughs> well, maybe not. Yeah, they probably say, no, we could do without you. But I, I, I cut some slack because one, it's not going to happen. Two, I, I, I didn't think people like that would ever really come to power. But now they control the U.S. Supreme Court, guys like him. And they control uh, the lives of women in my life. And they're putting up with these bigotries and Marjorie Taylor Greens and Joe Oldman and, and, and they the won't speak and, out. Right, and they're putting up with the lies. And the Jen Ellis who he put on uh, the big lie and I warned him, don't go there. Yeah, It's anti-democracy, but there's a larger agenda for them. So it's not funny to me anymore. No. And I wish I would have said, I wish I would have cussed him out. Well, you are now. I mean, you're bringing it. You're you're bringing it here, and I I support that. I think it's great. great. Well, thank you. I I just need to speak out, and you're the guy to speak out about it. I mean, this song, what inspires it? Tell us who's playing the horns. And just speaking of the horns, that's the best part of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. <laughs> the shofar, the right? Shofar is How the do you best feel part. as a musician when you hear that? Uh, Tell everybody. I mean, the shofar is like, hey, wake up. Everybody, yep. yep. This is the time. This is the place. It, it is a hey, wake up. Yeah, and it used to be the way that they would communicate in in biblical times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, from hills from hilltop to hilltop, they would they would blow the shofar, and you can imagine they they would get a message uh, many miles very quickly oh, by boy. doing that. Some people can really blow a shofar, but who's blowing the horn on your rockin' song? Sorry isn't good enough. No, I'm not, I'm, I don't even remember horns being on it. Oh, I should have listened it's first. It's amazing. I should have listened first. Do you remember first. what was animating you when you wrote it? Yeah, well, actually, it was It was more, the sorry isn't good, it was more the, the, um, something I had read about some mistreatment of women. It was more the, during the, uh, the Me Too uh, time when, um, and, and I do... I make allusions to 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 this guy who had mistreated, you know, women in particular. But but you can read into it the mistreatment of of anybody, right? Based on who on their group, not who they are as individuals. Right. At, at a point at which I want to burn bridges with you because I've sized you up. You will abuse women, and I don't like that. Right? It's probably wise not to burn bridges, but at the same time, you have to speak out and call it the way you see it. So who knows what the future brings, but I'm just telling you that I get pissed off. And part of it is just like in junior high school when I would watch the Holocaust movies and see my people put to death, naked in line, waiting for their showers. I'd come out of those classes just ready to punch somebody. I was so fucking furious that people would let it go that far. And that's what I'm talking about here. I, I think, think you're, you're also emotional from this. And I have not 
I have not seen it yet, but you've told me a little bit about this Ken Burns yes. um, documentary about the United States, like our our unwillingness to become involved. So I don't know, and I don't know how much of it was 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 a was just an isolationist tendency, uh, not wanting to send our boys to Europe. I think that was probably the bulk of it. Um, I don't know how much to read into anti-Semitism about well, that. Well, that's the beauty of this show. It was a big factor, and it was a big factor in the media with the Charles Coughlin types who were his ascendant. Henry fucking Ford. Henry Ford. Charles Lindbergh. And then anybody who would go with this America First shit, naming everything America First after Lindy and Ford chose that name... Why would you do that unless you are trying to appeal to the same bigotry? And let's face it, in Western civilizations, this authoritarianism with its bigotries and we're superior and we're the white male Christians and we want to be dominant, we always have been. This is repetitive in history and for us to think that America was different, I thought it was, but now it's pulled back and I see it through Trumpism. And the people who stick with Trump and won't call him out for his bullshit and his cheating, his lying, and normalizing ridiculous things, breaking all the norms, breaking all the norms on media. All of a sudden, it's not enough that you get paid to do a morning show. You need to take part of the $11 million guy's going to spend to say fire Polis and call him names and feminize him constantly with voices and insinuations. And call Weiser, the professor, oh, he's too inexperienced. Well, he's been AG four years now, and you're going to put down this proud Jewish man whose mother was born in Buchenwald. And today on his show, Brockler wanted to talk anti-Semitism. And get this, Troubadour, you know why he credited? He said, I just realized that Jenna Griswold Bill Weiser and Jared Polis all have Jewish heritage. That's the way he put it. Mm -hmm. And they should speak out because Berkeley is having a quota on Jewish speakers. And the fact that they don't speak out proves something. Hmm. And and it's like he's criticizing the timidity of three Jews for not calling out anti-Semitism after I just watch the governor and the AG Mm. memorialize Bobby R. with impactful speeches against anti-Semitism yesterday. Mm. Yesterday. Well. And you know what? Part of the ripping of Jews has always been, you know, you're a bunch of pussies. Although they make the point that they simultaneously, the Jew haters, you're pussies and, oh, you're too strong. If we let you get together, you'll be... but it's mainly the pussy thing. Well, it's Israel, like I think the, Israel put a put a put well, an end, put an end to that particular did, stereotype. But there, there are still people who want to. But Israel now is considered a bully, right. the opposite of a pussy, well, they, right? Right. It's the dual thing, right? They're, they're wimps, but they're well. And Israel, super Israel, you know, and I think you know, as just just as someone who loves Israel but takes issue with the government. Uh, many actions of the government and the timing of certain uh-huh. things and every, you know, the settlements and the support of that. I mean, I, I have problems with that. But um, so I don't, I'm not saying Israel is like, uh, is angelic in the way it's so, so in you the don't way know it, me, but back in the day, I was a jock, just an overgrown jock. And I love being a Jewish jock to bust up those stereotypes. Right. And I'd hear it occasionally when I play basketball against teams in Oklahoma and Nebraska, but I loved it. 
to be a Jewish athlete in high school and college. And I'm not going to be anybody's pussy or stand back while I hear anti-Semitic tropes day after day on the radio. Attack Weiser or Polis or Griswold on policy, fine. Right. But don't always say, oh, they're rich, they're spoiled, they're conniving. They're so smart. Don't you know they're so smart? You know what I mean? Conniving. That's what Deborah Lipstadt, who's the expert, she's America's ambassador against anti-Semitism. The accusations were the same in the 20s and 30s. Yeah, it's, a, it's an old disease. Yes. Right. Well, the same, the same, you know, with people who hate, you know, whoever it is, homosexuals. Right. It's the gypsies. replacement theory. The Jews are going to replace you. They, that's what they chanted in Charlottesville. And, and I got off the Trump train. I said, what the fuck? But nobody else did. And when Tree of Life, a murder happened, you remember that guy was upset about immigration. You know, he was the same as those Charlotte guys. And it was highest, the Hebrew organization that brought Phil Weiser's family to America. It's an immigration society. And this Pittsburgh killer, animated by Donald Trump and anti-immigration talk, killed all those Jews. And I'll tell you this, nothing was ever lesser covered on Christian talk radio. I'm right there. I talked about it. It happened while I did my Saturday show, but nobody talked about it the next week. Nobody had me on to Hey, how's it feel as a Jewish person? Mm. You just feel things. You know things. We've been around the block. There are so many great people in America, but not as many as I thought there were. We've got to talk about this, identify it. Troubadour, people want to hear your song. And if I got a little angry, isn't this like the angriest song you ever wrote? It's harsh. It might be. I like it. It's passionate. And listen to some of those lines about what you sow. And you're trying to make people look big by making other people look small. Right. And I hear Dan Kaplan's keep talking about Joe Biden being a little man. Right. I looked it up. He's six foot one. But he, he always wants to demean people by making them little. Or uh, Jared Polis is entitled. He's never worked hard. Bullshit. Paul is a hard worker, and he's created more things than almost anybody I know. Yeah, his parents were successful, but he was mega successful on his own, as was Phil Weiser, who clerked for two Supreme Court justices, and is one of the smartest attorneys I've ever seen. And he's got his heart in the right place. And let me tell you the bullshit that I hear against Weiser that he's soft on crime or this or that, as if the AG creates crime policies. Now, that's the DA's job. Remember, I was a DA. The people who know this job, it's more important in Arapahoe County who the DA is than the AG. Mm. Much more important. So, Brockler, in his zeal, he never gave up in his race against Weiser. He can't believe he lost to the Jewish professor, but he got his ass kicked at every debate and in the election. And he blames it on money and he'll blame it on Trump. Privately, God, he told me Donald Trump cost me the elections. But he won't say shit like that on the radio because he's not being honest any more than he'd be honest about, wait, you hired another lawyer for your personal injury case and you advertised for him. But now Dan Kaplis, who was your, what, partner, and then you broke up and you had litigation against each other. But that's not about money or what? what's... 
oh, now you guys are aligned to control the Republican Party of Colorado. And they kind of are. You know, they are in a war with Kyle Clark, and Heidi Ganahl won't go on with Kyle Clark. So they are exercising some control. Mm-hmm. They are the future bright lights of that party, and they're aligned. And they're aligned with Peter Boyles, who's back on the radio, even though Judith Berg came on my show and said that he called her the K-word. I can't even say it, but that startled me. And it kind of activated me. C-word. The C-word, yeah. No, he, he called her the K-word. The K-word? I don't even know what the K-word is. The K-word. Let's leave, let's leave it. No, against Jewish people. Oh, 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 okay. Okay? Yeah. Have you ever had anybody use that word around you? Of course. And how do you react? I was uh, I was raised in Chicago, right next to Highwood. It was the it was the Jews in Highland Park, and it was the Italians in Highwood. In Highwood, we were always coming up against each other. Also, all great friends, but um, it was it was uh, sometimes it was almost like two little militias going on in high school. And they so. called you the K word, and how did oh. you react? Well, I mean, I probably got. I told you the other day, I probably got into four or five fights in my time in uh, in in Highland Park with with Italians. But like I said, then then we'd be friends too. There was there was that kind of thing right. going on too. It was interesting, but um, it was more guys swaggering, and that was what they heard. Maybe their parents say or something like right. that. I didn't feel like the hatred was real or long lasting, but they would use it. Yeah, and you know what? You guys could punch it out or whatever. Yeah. But when a grown man says that no to guns. a woman, there were no guns or knives. Right, but a grown man says that to a woman it, who is married a, to a guy who it, got it, murdered it, by it, an assault it, weapon. It's unbelievable. It's awful. And then that same guy advertises for the Tanner Gun Show, and he's going to be the guy honoring Alan Berg, who hated guns. And he loved Judith Berg, who he had dinner with that last night of his life, and for his his wife to be called that. Right. It bothers me. Well, as it should. It bothers me that people would entrust their advertising to a guy who said that. And we'll play the sound again this show for people to evaluate on their own. But that's where sorry isn't good enough. Maybe I should be bigger than that. Maybe if it was a sincere apology, I said it, it was wrong. I realize anti-Semitism is deadly and can kill us all. Right. And I'm going to withdraw from... That's more than sorry. Right. That's not just saying sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I guess that's what the podcast is for. I'm expressing my opinion. A lot of great people out there in America, but MAGA has pulled back the curtain on some people who aren't. Sorry isn't good enough by our troubadour, Dave Gunders. Thank you. Thanks, Craig. Some
being sorry. This ain't tough. This ain't sorry. Sorry isn't good enough. is a great sponsor of my show, but more than that, he's my lawyer, my end-of-life planning lawyer, and I've got two dogs. What about you? I have two dogs right now as well. And not only do you love your dogs at home with your kids and your wife, but you get involved with dog issues in your law practice. Tell everybody about that. So I will write pet trusts, which is, you can earmark money to take care of your pets. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've got their dogs and you know, they love their dogs. But then if somebody were to, you know, if, you're, if you were to pass away, you know, who's going to take your dogs? Who would, who would love your dogs as much as you do? I don't know that anybody would love your dogs as much as you do. But like I grew up with dogs. And so if I were to pass away, then my parents or my siblings could take the dogs. So when you set up a pet trust, you can dictate who's going to get those dogs and then who you can leave money to take care of the dogs as well. I like working with you and I think you are ahead of your time. You have 15 different locations. How cool is that? It's, it is nice to be able to go to all the different locations and you know meet people where it's comfortable and more convenient for them. And nobody wants to drive from one part of Metro Denver to the other to meet with a lawyer. You will come to them. Yep. And I'll deal with traffic so you don't have to. Tell us how people can get in touch with you. My direct phone number is 720-394-6887. Or they can go to my website, which is mobileestateplanning.com. And again, that's mobileestateplanning.com. And there's even a schedule, you know, there's a book an appointment link on this on the website. All right, Michael Bailey. Thank you. 
have some exciting news. I am starting my brand new law firm. It's attitude, mine. The legal skills, mine. The support staff, incredible. Find us online soon at CraigsColoradoLaw.com. Find me right now on Twitter at CraigsColorado. Craig Silverman, a voice for victims. Hey, I told you this would be a great show, and I hope I delivered. I got all worked up. I can't talk about anti-Semitism all the time. It makes me crazy. But you're supposed to wrestle with things during this period of time between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. No wrestling with the fact that Dave Gunders is a great man and one of my all-time greatest friends. Thank you, Troubadour. Then we've got Dave Blomberg, a new friend. Thanks for coming to the studio and enlightening me on so many subjects. This guy is really bright and stands up, as does Joe O'Day. He wants your vote. He wants my vote. And he's fighting people in his own party, and I want him to win that fight within his own party because if the GOP keeps going towards QAnon and Christian nationalism— Oh, boy, do we have problems in this country. We need to stand up to that. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend. Please subscribe. Five stars is fantastic. Thank you. Have an easy fast if you observe Yom Kippur that way. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Tune in live every Saturday morning, 9 to noon, Mountain Time. Visit thecraigsilvermanshow.com for the podcast, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe on all major podcasting platforms to be updated when new episodes are available. This has been The Craig Silverman Show.